Hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the PNR podcast. I am your host, Michael B. Proud, and I have a very special guest with me tonight. I felt like she's an expert on this topic, so I had to bring her on. And usually we do sexier uh, topics, and that will be handled later on the season. But this is a very important topic to her, and I also share uh, strong feelings about it. So say hello to the people, sweet cheeks. Hey, what up? It's your girl, Sweet Cheese Capone, back again for another PNR podcast. And I am so excited to be talking about things today that I think are really going to like shake things up. Yes, yes. Uh, that's exactly how I feel. Hopefully we have some answers because uh, we've done a little research on this for a while. But like I said, I mean, she's already passionate about the topic and I've uh, I've done some reading up on it because I like I said, I think this needs to be addressed and handled properly so so hopefully we come up with some solutions here but uh without further delay i'll get on to at least what the episode is and it's episode 82 which is entitled foster care and adoption i didn't uh have some sort of crazy uh title like i i usually come up with i just wanted to kind of go direct with this one so that's what we'll be talking about tonight though um did you come up with any numbers i came up with some numbers so like um i submitted a oh no 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 um for 82 for 82 what do you mean yeah well usually i uh like i don't remember if you remember the last episode we did but uh it was like 57 and i came up with different 57s like athletes and and whatnot did you come up with uh, any 82s like my oh my I... god no i miss i'm missing i'm not reading no sorry <laughs> Oh, okay. I came up with two, and uh, legendary Patriots uh, catcher, Vincent Brisby, pass catcher, I should say, because catcher is a different position, and uh, it's a baseball one. And then also Ozzie Newsom, another uh, Cleveland uh, Brown great Ozzie Newsom, one of the best uh, tight ends to ever play the game. So I figured you'd throw out maybe a Canuck or two out there. <laughs> Canucks. As if they're important enough. No. <laughs> what I okay, I googled the number eighty-two. Those, <laughs> you just pissed I, off all those people in Vancouver. <laughs> can I don't even eighty-two could be a sports number. I thought it was like how? Oh my god! How many Canucks could there be? With that war eighty-two, uh, I don't know. It's um, it's mostly a baseball and uh, not a baseball. It's mostly a, a hockey and football number. You don't see it in baseball or basketball. No, <laughs> I, can't, I 
can't even look up what all the players' numbers are right now. It just gives me the <laughs> phone number for Canucks. <laughs> well, it's not like you can buy tickets during all the playoffs. So, <laughs> what's the point of that? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, apparently, uh, huh. number eight is an important Canuck player, uh, Connor Garland, and uh, it gives me that his position is right wing and that he's 165 pounds. That's what I found. <laughs> There, there's probably no uh, famous 82s for the Canucks, so we'll we'll skip on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the two I came up with. And uh, on social media, you can find me at Polrel Pcast, P O L R E L P C A S T P C A S T. And then on Twitter, you can find me at 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 sign the PNR podcast and on Patreon it's the space P space ampersand space R space podcast. Um do you want to plug any of your stuff or just your link tree or I've got so many things. I'm I'm on Linktree for sure. I always put all my links on Linktree and it's just whatever the Linktree URL is slash sweeties capone. My YouTube channel recently got demonetized. So oh. I'm working on doing other YouTube channels, but I'm going to link everything to my one original youtube.com slash sweeties Capone. And the places I make money are onlyfans.com slash sweeties Capone, patreon.com slash sweeties Capone, and fansly.com slash sweeties Capone. Now, um, do you, do you want to talk about why you get demonetized? I, I, even before, you know, we talk about our topic, that might be uh, something that you, you want to put out there because I saw, you know, I've saw your content and, you're always very careful about, you know, putting mosaics on things that, you know, would piss off YouTube. So why did they demonetize you if you don't mind discussing it? I don't mind discussing it at all. I think okay. it's very funny. Um, what they quoted from the guideline that I violated is that my content is made for the purpose of sexual arousal, which <laughs> I don't agree with. Because I think what I do on there is anything but arousing. I'm telling people the technical of like, okay, this is what this sex toy is for. This is how you don't hurt yourself. And this is how you clean it and take care of it. I did have one video where I seductively ate a popsicle and YouTube deleted it. <laughs> oh, YouTube deleted it. So like, why, why am I getting this now? So anyways, I wasn't making that much money off YouTube to begin with. It's mostly brand deals that you make money off of. So it's not like that big of a loss, like hundred bucks every six months or whatever. I'm not really going to miss out on that. But that's still, it's it's still bullshit though. So even on principle alone, that's that's garbage. Yeah, well, the bullshit part of it is I, I'm not monetizable at all. So like my membership that I had on my YouTube channel that I actually did have people paying for monthly that was making money that, you know, they could comment on my streams with the, the special stickers and stuff. That's all disabled now as well. Oh, hell yeah. I, you know, I just hope nothing like that happens to me. They'll, they'll, oh, you discussed this or you said this word and we're mad at you. I, jeez, uh, I, um, you know, I'm not big enough where I even really have to worry about that. Like I'm not monetized because I haven't had enough use or whatever, but that's still going to be so frustrating if I have to deal with that in the future. But Yeah, I think the world is just harder on women. Like, you know, I show a little bit of my cleavage. Oh my gosh, that is so sexual. And then... <laughs> people there's men on instagram that are showing their full penises full frontal nudity and they're it's up there it's still on there well y there is a double standard but it's it's also beneficial to be a woman though 
Because if you're a good-looking woman, for example, more people are just going to pay attention to you regardless. Because you're either going to have A, lesbians, B, women who are pissed that like you're better looking than them or whatever, or C, you'll have fucking wicked thirsty guys that, you know, they always have their dicks out in their hands and they'll just, they'll pay attention to any of that. And it, it's so true, though. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You got me on that one. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, that's that's the benefi- beneficial part of it. You'll have you'll have three sources. So they'll they'll be like hate, hate uh, watching and hate listening and all that. That sort of stuff is so fascinating to me because I'm like, why would you waste your time doing that? But you'll have that. And then you'll have the other two. While it's like, uh, I could have the cure for cancer and I could talk about it and, oh, that's just a fucking average looking guy. Fuck him. Like, I don't, I don't care about anything he has to say. So <laughs> that's what, that's, uh, the uphill battle that I have to face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so I'm, I'm glad you, you shared that story with me though. Cause like I said, I just, I, I kind of remember that happening to you a couple months ago and I just kind of wanted to know what happened. Did you get yeah. another? Did you get another brand deal? By the way, because I remember that fell through too, and I was like, y- "You'll bounce back from that." So, um, I get, I still get quite a few brand deals. Like, I still get quite a few brands approaching me, and like, I still awesome. have, I still have some pretty good numbers on YouTube. Like, my views are really dwindling. I'm not getting pushed into the recommended like I was before. So, YouTube is really shadow banning my channel, but Ugh. I still have over thirteen thousand subscribers. I still have returning viewers. I still have the odd viewer pop in here and there. The ASMR content that I've been putting out has really been bringing people <laughs> to my channel. That was but funny I still, stuff. <laughs> it is. I, I still have enough viewership, though, that sex toy companies are willing to send me free product to uh, show off on my channel. But now you can't even show it off completely or are you going to put a black sensor bar over the entire thing not even just mosaic <laughs> well no now everything's free game because i don't have to worry about like oh is this monetizable and oh, now i know yeah, nothing's yeah. monetizable so i can just go like full ham on youtube you know show everything say all the nasty words and nothing will happen <laughs> to me excellent excellent yeah i didn't even think of that exactly if you're not worrying about youtube giving you the money then you can do whatever the fuck you want yeah that's that's a good point <laughs> That's the life lesson. Just be an entrepreneur and <laughs> make your own platform. Before we discuss what we're gonna discuss, I do want to just use our sources real quick. And um, Sweet Cheeks will probably give a special source of hers. She'll probably go in depth on that one real quick before we also begin. The sources I used were a couple PDFs I found on the internet. One is from uh, the United States. It's uh, the Department of Health and um, Health Services, I think, and. Uh, that that was released on June 28, 2022. And then I also used uh, a Canadian source because uh, Sweet Cheeks is uh, from uh, the, the good land of Canada. And uh, I used their Child Welfare Department's PDF. And the, the, the best date I could find on it, I didn't find the exact publishing date, but it was uh, March 1st, 2022. So, okay. um, and yeah, if, you, if you'd like to just dis- discuss the... Because you came up with a very special source that I, I, I read... Uh, before we uh probably 30 minutes before we went air so <laughs> <laughs> that's dedication yeah um w- when i was in my i think third year of university i submitted a research proposal for the tuition waiver program for foster kids at the time and i found some really good sources while i was doing that proposal i think the best one would uh, was called challenges in the transition to higher education for foster care youth and that one was uh, by M.H. Peel, 
And that's, uh, I used mostly that. Now, uh, I'm just curious. This isn't even related to the episode. What'd you major in? I'm going to guess it's something to do with um, like video or uh, aud- like an audio visual sort of degree. <laughs> you know, that would be so smart of me to do that. And then I can make my hobbies uh, a job for myself. No, um, I majored in sociology. Wow. I wouldn't have guessed that in a million years. Because yeah. you're you're so good with like the the technical stuff as far as like video, like you know how to do camera setups and lighting setups and stuff like that. So I was like, I bet that's what you went to school for. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been doing that since I was a literal child. Like I started on YouTube in I think 2011 or something like that. <laughs> like when I was 13, when I started on YouTube, even I think even maybe before that, I don't know, but I started seriously uploading to YouTube when I was 13. And then I went to a film school when I was 15. And then, uh, I kind of, I had like this whole thing go down on the internet that was like a little traumatic for me. And then I left the internet until like 2017. Oh, jeez! <laughs> Did you go to the same film school as Kenny Hotz? No, no. Oh, well, I, okay. I think we're we're on like different sides. Anyway, I went to the Gulf oh, Island true. Film School. <laughs> so he went to somewhere in Toronto. I'm uh, assuming some film school they have out there. Yeah, a uh, film school with actual credibility. I would guess. <laughs> uh, that's so fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so then you do have. That's where you got your background then, though, on ha- being knowledgeable on all this stuff. What did what did you upload as uh, a 13-year-old, if you don't mind me asking? Because uh, I'm sure the content <laughs> is way different than what you put out now. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's just as cringy, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was doing uh, tribute music videos to a punk band from the 70s called Wire. <laughs> So were you like lip syncing along or were you doing like a slideshow of like pictures of them or I I would get into these what I thought were cool outfits. (laughs) I would lip sync in front of a green screen. That was the first (laughs) time I used a green screen and uh, it was it was poorly lit. It was a green screen. I hung in front of my closet. I put my Fujifilm digital camera on my windowsill and yeah, I I just played it on my iPod. That those were the days. I think I'd enjoy viewing that right now. I think I get a oh pick out of that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can, but you know, I'm not paying for your therapy after. <laughs> oh wow, it's that it's that bad. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's bad. It's it's so bad. Well, the, you- <laughs> the New Yorker published an article about it, and no way. I, Yes. You was, specifically or just in general, like people I, like you and other people? I was interviewed by Sasha Freer Jones from The New Yorker. And oh. I was literally the butt of all of these 40-year-old men on the internet, the butt of their jokes. <laughs> oh, man. No, but you're not Rebecca Black. <laughs> I was Rebecca Black before Rebecca Black knew she was Rebecca Black. <laughs> Well, you, you got to understand, uh, I grew up in the age of uh, steak and cheese, so I'm sure your content is not as wild as some of the shit I've seen on there. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> oh, man, that's uh, that's funny to think about, though, that you were just lip syncing along with a punk band. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, covered the source, and she covered her source, and um, this is what I got for numbers, least in foster care. Uh, the I only I wouldn't only went over the like the ones I found interesting or the ones that I thought were super important. So these are these are a few that I grabbed. So the number in, in foster care in the United States right now is uh, three hundred ninety one thousand ninety eight, or as of this paper, anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, in Canada, I this is the only number I was able to really gather, and it it seems off. It's uh twenty six thousand six hundred eighty. Yeah, I think that's off. I do have um, an updated source from 2020 off of Statistics Canada for number of foster kids in their age groups. I had remembered you mentioning that. I'm like, I wish I had found that site when I was searching for this stuff because all I got was these government sites. And um, Sweet Cheeks pointed out that it's probably a conspiracy uh, with uh, Trudeau. And the uh, actual numbers, so their numbers look good, and that in fact the numbers are much worse than this. But so, uh, what's the the Canadian number that you got right now? Okay, so I think we should think about this relative to population because, regardless of landmass, Canada has a very small population in adversely to uh, the United States, but the total population of Canada is only thirty eight point two five million. Holy shnikes, that's low. <laughs> yes, so then when you look at the numbers, so what I've got right now as of 2020 on the Stats Canada website is that there's 47,885 children in foster care. That's, uh, I, like I said, I, the number I came up with seemed too low. I think your number is way more correct. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, they are publishing stuff all over the place. I still think it's a conspiracy that, to make Canada <laughs> look better. But, you know, that's just me. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it, I think their number might even be higher than America's. But they're like, oh, we got we got to set this thing low or we'll look totally bad on the global stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what do you attribute that to, though? Why do you think like what what are the what are some of the reasons that because I mean, I I think I think it will just lead to adoption, which we're going to talk about later in the episode. But besides maybe adoption, do you think there's any other reason why? Because the, the American number seems super high, even though, you know, it's only like, what, one percent or whatever. It's and it might, actually it might not even be that much. It's uh, that would be what a tenth of a percent of the population. But Canada's number is extremely low, even if it's just 40,000 versus 37 million. So, Mm -hmm. well, not all of those children are going to be eligible for adoption um, because here in Canada, we have two different kind of care orders, or at least here in BC, our court system that we use has two different kinds of care orders. You can be on a temporary care order. That's on one where there's some potential of you going back to your birth home or the home that you were taken from. And then there's the continuing custody order, which means you're fully under government care and there's no chance of you being able to go back home. They've exhausted every option and uh, either the child is unwilling to go back to the parents or the parents are unwilling to take the steps to become better parents. So only the ones that get pushed over into the continuing custody order part are the ones that could be adopted. And even then the adoption process is so long um, and not many people choose to do it. 
But within those, that big group of children in foster care, we have 22,000 that are available for adoption. So essentially what you're saying is because of some sort of conditions, and I, I kind of surmise this myself just looking at numbers, but there's going to be just some sort of situation where you're always going to have some sort of number in there because of uh, extenuating circumstances, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, um, like I said, it's like any other uh, social problem, like homelessness, for example, or people who are in poverty or feeding the hungry or, or what. You're always going to have that number because there's just, there's always going to be you know, somebody who inserts themselves into that or because of, you know, what's going on around them, they can't get out of it. And then, yeah, you always have a number. That's why when when people say, oh, we plan to eliminate this and that by this year or whatever, there's no way you're going to be able to eliminate it. Yeah. But uh, they always they always have that hope and they throw it out there anyways. But it's, that's just such a false message to send. They should say, we aim to... We aim to almost eliminate it, but we know we fully can't, and it's going to happen by this date. <laughs> I think that'd be the more correct thing to say. Yeah, and like the other thing to look at too here is that in Canada, Canadians have adopted over 2,000 children internationally compared to the 1,700 children that were ad- adopted within Canada. That's so. Uh... It's the Canadian rules around adoption that are making it harder for people to adopt. But on the other hand, I wouldn't want to be adopted by a parent that was not ready to adopt. I, I, I yeah, I guess that's you know that that's true exactly. You you don't want to force parents into that situation if they're not ready to do it. But here's here's where that irritates me. You have you have two thousand that are are taken in internationally, but it's a higher number than the ones domestically that. That mm-hmm. should be addressed. That should never be a thing where the 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 number coming in from far away is higher than the ones here. Because it, if they did the same thing in America, I'd be pissed off. It's like you have so many kids in America that need good homes, but you're you're taking in kids from. It's like yeah, I want those kids to you know have that chance too. I don't want kids from you know China, for example, likes to export a lot of the, their fe- their females. I don't want those kids to miss out on having an opportunity to be in a country that would love them and a a place that's good to grow up. But at the same time, if you have so many people here, you can't be you can't screw your own people. There should be some sort of law where I don't know if there is one in the United States or not, but I'm, I'm glad you brought this to light because that should be addressed. Like at least countries like United States and Canada and stuff, they should have a law where it's like, no, we got to take care of at least more of our people first before we like, there should be some sort of limit or something like it's like, okay, there's uh for example, U S number 391,000 in foster care, almost four 400 K those, those should be addressed first. And if you have the international number creeping up on that, you should put a cap on it and be like, okay, we already adopted 300,000 kids internationally this year. That that's the limit for this year. We can't take any more internationally. And I, I understand there's going to be parents that, that want to adopt and would be pissed off or whatever, but it's like, okay, then take care, you know, adopt a kid in this country first. Why, why can't you do that? So I think if there's, if there's not some, well, I guess there's no, not some sort of law in Canada if the, the number's higher, but that, that needs to be addressed first, first and foremost. Make sure you take care of your own people first. It's nice to take care of other countries if you can, 
But this seems like one of those circumstances where you shouldn't because you have your own people that have needs. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And then there's even like percentages. So, you know, 48% of the Canadian foster kids are eligible for adoption, but only 35% of them are actually being adopted. Um, is that it's, it's part of that numbers though, just got to, they got to be got getting out of the system at that same time. Right. Yeah. I know. Like I know for myself, I was never adopted, but there's a lot of foster kids also that come into the system when they're teenage age or preteen age. And that's not the kind of age that most people are wanting to adopt from what I can see. People would want to adopt from outside Canada if they can get babies. Within Canada, there's not a whole lot of babies available for adoption because the foster parents that take them in usually fall in love with them first and want to adopt them. And not a, they don't also try to put the continuing care order on babies because they want babies to go home or have a chance of going home. Uh, but the big issue for a lot of parents who want to adopt is that they want to have a baby or they want to have like baby age child that they can raise as their own. They don't want to have this child that's been half raised by someone else and they've got their own values and morals already set inside them. And, you know, I think it's, you hear a lot of foster parents talking about horror stories where like they had their teenage foster kid try to stab their other kids. And oh, the man. fact of it is like, not everybody's like that, but Things like that are the reason people don't want to open their homes. Oh, boy. I I didn't even think of something like that. I I was uh, when you're talking about the baby thing as fucked up as it is. At least I, I understand that a bit like, oh, they they want to raise the kid their way from the start. Got it. Mm -hmm. But I can see I never thought, you know, oh, you know, this kid's already been part raised by somebody else. So. They, you know, they're going to do something like crazy, like you mentioned, like uh, attack uh, their, uh, you know, their foster siblings or, or, or whatever. So I never considered something like that. But I feel almost if you're if you're going to be a parent, age shouldn't even be a selective thing. You sh it should be like, OK, I'm going I'm going to an agency to start arranging this or whatever. It shouldn't be like, oh, I want a baby or, oh, even I want a teenager. It, it shouldn't matter. It should be like it should be sort of a system where, OK, this kid's been in foster care the longest and we're not presuming that they're going to be uh, out of the out of the system by the time you're ready to take them in. So you're going to have to take this kid. That's how it, it should be. It's just like you shouldn't get to be so beggars shouldn't be choosy, I guess, is is the point I'm trying to make. And a lot of times, you know, uh, adoptive people the the adoptive parents or whatever they're infertile so it's not even one of those cases where it's like well i i've already had a bunch of kids or whatever and i just i want to adopt one that's not that's not usually how that works it's it's these these couples that they can't conceive on their own so they go the the adoption route and it's like you're a fucking beggar at this point essentially so you shouldn't get the right to choose it should be this kid's been in foster care the longest take it or leave it yeah, that, I think there's I think there's still some parents that are stuck on the idea of like 
I want to have basically my own flesh and blood in this house that I can pass on everything to. And I think another reason that people aren't being, that kids aren't being adopted is that surrogacy is so readily available in Canada and that there's all of these surrogacy groups. Um, So it seems like a lot more people are leaning towards surrogacy. I didn't even consider that. (laughs) That's, uh, well, yeah, I think surrogacy would probably be more expensive in the United States, but in Canada, yeah, it's probably way easier to obtain. And the United States would probably be like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, well, the reason it's, the reason it's easier to obtain surrogacy in Canada is because you can't legally pay a surrogate. So these surrogate mothers aren't getting paid for what they're doing. They're just being oh. reimbursed for the uh, costs that they have to incur while they're pregnant. Okay, that's that's different than the American setup then, because that's the first step to surrogacy is this woman's like, yeah, if I'm going to, you know, harbor your kid for nine months, I want to be compensated. And I understand that I I wouldn't want to get pregnant if I wasn't getting paid unless I was married to somebody that I loved. Like, that's the only way I'd want to get pregnant, like any other way. No way. Or I also unless feel I was getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a friend actually who was a surrogate um, where I live. And what it is, is more like instead of in the States where they're like, okay, I'm going to have a surrogate and I'm going to give them this money or they're not going to want to have my baby. But it's here where parents are more selective. So uh, my friend didn't get chosen as a surrogate for one couple because they were concerned about her health and that maybe her weights or like her her fibro uh, would be detrimental to their child. So they said no to her being a surrogate and they wanted to go pick someone else. But uh, I guess the, the sur- surrogacy group set that up though? Yes. Yeah, and, uh, and in America, everybody's a free agent. If uh, they just offer their services and um, I guess uh, you either jizz into a fucking tube and then into uh, the robot does his thing into her or you do the old <laughs> the old fashioned way yeah and uh yeah so <laughs> but yeah everybody's a free agent here so i kind of find that i think that should be the way that canada does it though i think i mean granted that drives the cost up but at least you're you know you're choosing you're not just being like oh here's these groups are gonna organize it or whatever i think no i think um People should just hit, put it out there and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm I'm this Canadian woman. I'm available and I don't do it through a group. And if if you uh, if you want to uh, have a kid with me, start coughing up balloons if they even use those uh, up there still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, a, a lot of people feel the same way about that, about like, you know, why can't surrogates take money for their services or why can't egg donors be given money for their eggs? Um, But in Canada, the laws are very tight around what people can do with their bodies because they want to protect people from being trafficked. And because they work so hard against trafficking, um, it really feels like we have less rights. I don't know how much trafficking plays into uh, the United States as as far as that goes. But I guess that's that's probably something that does happen. Something really sinister might happen with that. There might be somebody that gets trafficked in and they're like, okay, I'm a, a surrogate or whatever. And they're, they're, uh, they're working for somebody black market or whatever. 
So they get they get inseminated though, and then they move back to their original country and hold the kid hostage from uh, the surrogate father, or not the surrogate father, but the the father that had sex with the surrogate or the robot. And well, I already explained that process, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's something that that's something crazy that might happen. I don't know if it does or not, but imagine if that's that is part of the equation though here, where it's just like okay, you got me pregnant. And I had the kid, but I moved back to, I don't know, Russia or or Brazil or wherever. And it's just like, oh, if you want this kid now, you got to pay me a ton of money. So they're pretty it's essentially almost like kidnapping. But because that's the biological mother, it's not. So, (laughs) yeah, very, very gray, very gray area. (laughs) That would be wild. And uh, to the U.S. audience, by the way, if you don't know what the loon is, it's essentially the Sacagawea coin. <laughs> yeah, no, we still have loonies and toonies. The the loonie is a one dollar. The toonie is a two dollar. Toonie's my favorite because it's got the little polar bears in the center. I didn't even know there was a two dollar coin. Yeah, it's the one dollar coin, the two dollar coin. I don't know why they stopped at two and then jumped right to the $5 bill. I feel like they should have at least made room for a three or a four in there if they were going to go as far as a two. Well, I'm not being being pejorative when I suggest this, but uh, we have a saying, at least in the United States, that $3 bills are queer. So (laughs) that might be the same in Canada. They don't want to do it because they're queer. Yeah. Queer phobic, queer phobic up there at the the Canadian uh, mint. (laughs) <laughs> could be, could be. <laughs> you guys, though, in Canada, you had that a lot, a lot longer before us. Because I don't know when the Sacagawea dollar came out, but it was maybe like in like 2000. I feel like uh, that old duck uh, bill that you got up there, that was way years, 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 years before. Well, I know the uh, $1 bill like was like a very, very long time ago. I'm not sure when they switched over to coins. But I know there used to be $1 and $2 bills, and now there's no $1 and $2 bills. It's only coins, and you can't use loonies and toonies at the strip club. You have to bring fives. So, If, if you could yeah. see my face right now, I am shocked. I did not know it was only a coin. I thought it was like an optional thing. No. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's why people are so stingy with their tips in the strip clubs it's so hard to make money now you see though you don't need to spend fives i saw uh spenny going to remington's and he was putting coins in uh, in uh the underwear of the the (laughs) epidisius there Oh my God! Well, here in BC, that's frowned upon. <laughs> I know, I know. In Alberta, they let you flick the the coins up on stage, uh, but that's why Alberta strippers always have black eyes. But here in BC, <laughs> we're a little bit classier. See, Spenny's gonna say though that that was Kenny. That he was will. Kenny in that that segment. But I'm pretty. Uh, it looked like Spenny to me in that segment. So. Kenny just paid Spenny, so he decided to go to Remington's and he's shoving coins in that gentleman's underwear. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Spenny, if you listen to this somehow, don't block me. (laughs) (laughs) Say anything. Just Just at him anything on Twitter and he will block you. Oh, yes, yes. 
That's why. That's why I'm saying don't don't tease me. I'm just I'm I'm uh, I mean don't block me. I'm just teasing you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not being as authentically mean as uh, Kenny and some other people have been to you over the years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we've we've done our our few tangents now. Uh, <laughs> love tangents. I'm the I queen love, of tangents. Oh yeah, I would totally go down on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that, that's my that's my entendre for the night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we will get back to the episode. We'll probably cover some tangents later, but um, yeah. th- we we had to talk about that Canadian gold coin though. I had to know some stuff about it. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so these are some other numbers that I, I plucked real quick. Entered th- these we th- these next couple. I don't think we can really elaborate on, and the waiting to adopted one we already did kind of. But um, so entered in the U.S. system was uh, two hundred six thousand eight hundred twelve. Exited was two hundred fourteen thousand nine hundred seventy one, and waiting to be adopted is one hundred thirteen thousand five hundred eighty nine. But like I said, we already kind of covered that one just in our discussion. Yeah, uh, and the population in America is like huge, like so much bigger compared to Canada. So I feel like those those numbers, like they can't be taken at face value without knowing the sample size. Yeah, we we have um, I think we have around 340 and that's just documented people. So if you account for we have a lot of illegal immigrants in the southwest and supposedly now they're entering through Canada because they found it's easier to go up to Canada and then head south. Uh, you so know, which... I believe that, though, <laughs> the the borders from Canada to the states really are not that tight. If you're flying, they're really tight. But if you're just going through the border, like on foot or by car, they really don't care. Here's where I would find issue. If I'm going through the checkpoint, the Mounties would get me. No, no problem. The easy way to do that, though, is to go through the wilderness. I would mm. be afraid a bear would eat me trying to cross into America. It could happen. <laughs> you just got to do it on. I don't think there's any grizzlies in BC. I'm not sure where the grizzlies are, but the grizzlies are the the scare. The grizzlies and the brown bears. They're the scary ones. The black oh, bears yeah. are actually really chill. Like I've. I encountered black bears in my walks and they just look at you and walk away. Uh, if I saw a black bear, I would turn around and scream like a little girl running away the entire time. <laughs> well, you'd scare the bear too. If I saw him scaring, I wouldn't be running anymore, but I don't even know if I would pay attention to that. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm a guy who's done a lot of brave stuff, like get up in front of a bar full of people and sing at a medium pace. And still, though, that that bear would scare me. Yeah. <laughs> Even a rat, a raccoon would scare me because I'd be like, he has rabies. I'm out of here. I'm running away. Oh, raccoons are scary, though. Like, that's not even to, <laughs> not even to be taken lightly. I'm scared of raccoons. Well, their rabies is what really scares me. So I'd be like, that thing's rabid, even if it's not. And I run away, run away screaming yeah. the entire time. Yeah. But then well, again, I mean, look at the way they use their little hands. It's just so strange. I would run away, though, and go to a karaoke bar and sing about a shampoo bottle going up my ass. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know why I'm brave enough to do that. Pretending I'm the pizza delivery guy. Watch me whack off. And then, but it's like, uh, you know, an animal. If 
frightens the hell out of me because I it's you know I don't know I don't know what it's gonna do. It's not predictable. It's not like my dog where I know my dog's gonna bite me if I piss him off somehow. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, uh, these are the, just the next couple I want to throw out. Uh, the average age in um, um America is eight, and the median age is seven, and then gender there's more males where it's 51% at a, a number of 199,969 and then females is 49% of course uh, uh 191,037 now with that Pretty out of the way yeah it, it's uh that's good to see at least that there's not some sort of overwhelming number cuz then be like well why is that that would be something that would have to be discussed but um placement setting this is the number that I wanted to bring up because uh, the, the pre-adoptive setting is 4%. It's uh, 16,381. Uh-huh. Yet, the, the, now this is the case goal that I found interesting. The uh, reunity, so, you know, with the pre-adoptive people, is 53% at, at a population of 201,297. I find that strange that the, there's so little people getting out of foster care, living with the, the pre-adoptive people, yet that's the, the case goal. The case goal is so high, 53%. Why, why aren't those numbers kind of meeting? Because it's not even meeting halfway, like 25% or something. It's like it's 4%. So that is extremely low versus what the case goal is. Why do you think that is? Is it because they weren't even suitable in the first place? I am having so much uh, difficulty trying to comprehend what you just said to me. (laughs) (laughs) I I apologize. Is it it the 4% that are like being put into adoptive homes? It sounds like you were talking about reuniting numbers. So like they're being sent back to the homes that they got taken out of. Yeah. The, the, the placement setting is like, you know, where, where are they putting these, these foster care people when, when they're going through the system Mm -hmm. and the, 4% 4% is pre-adoptive. So 4% of foster care people go back to who they were pre-adoptive, whether it's parents or grandparents or a guardian or whatever the case is. 4% of those people in the foster care system are going back. So only 4%. Okay. Yet the, the case goal of, I guess, their social workers or whoever's involved in this, 53% of their intention is to send them back. Those numbers don't even meet halfway, so I'm wondering why that is. Is it because their pre-adoptive parents are so unsuitable that that's not even a realistic goal to achieve? If that's the case, though, why would these people who are evaluating things be like, oh, uh, these parents suck, but our goal is to reunite them with the parents? There's something fucked up in that discrepancy. It's either they're not achieving it or if they're if they're not so suitable enough to be a parent why is that the goal of the caseworker that makes no sense yeah i think it's more of like a wishful thinking kind of goal because ideally everybody has two parents that they can count on for feeding them and giving them their basic needs and maybe occasionally giving them a hug but that's not really realistic and I'm not sure if we should take into account maybe the differences between generations, like with the newer generation of parents not being able to afford basic necessities because of inflation. Um, That would be a really big factor into not being able to send 
kids home. But like, I understand the intention of wanting to send every kid that comes into foster care back home. Cause like, you know, most of them, you know, their parents aren't murderers or something's completely ridiculous, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, they try to provide these services to the parents, like with parenting classes or different things that they have to attend in order to have, have their kids back. And it, it has to be partially on the parents end. Like they have to want to have their kids back enough to do these kind of things. And like, you know, I know my parents wouldn't go to an anger management class and like that's on them, you know? I think I I don't think reunity should be the goal, maybe. Because if you're not even close to meeting the number, why even have that as the goal? Everything else should be the goal. Yeah. I totally I totally get that. So like just you know, make these these kids' lives bearable in the situation that they're at. Don't try to put them into a more ideal situation that just isn't going to work. It's like trying to enforce communism on everybody right now. I get it. I see it. I see the vision. Yeah. That's probably the best way to describe it. Cause if, yeah, why, why put them into something idyllic, but that it, it's maybe idyllic on the surface, but it's not pragmatic. Yeah. But. It's just, it's just not, gonna work for them yeah it's like wishful thinking but it's not gonna work for them so i definitely see that yeah no sometimes it's just it's just not feasible but what america does that is far better than canada is that for kids in care and kids aging out of care they have more of a wraparound kind of approach to support these kids coming out of foster care whereas in canada uh 20 of kids aging out of care end up homeless I I don't have the numbers, but I would argue it's probably the same. And uh, I will discuss that on uh, adoption, the adoption section of our episode, because I didn't note that down. But um, is there anything else you want to cover on foster care before we move on to the adoption segment? I mean, there's so much. There's literally so much to talk about in foster care. And I'm I'm not sure, like. If when you're in America, if you become a ward of the state, can you go back from becoming a ward of the state? Whereas in Canada, once you're a ward of the state, you're a ward of the state forever um, because there's that temporary care order. That's the first part. But there's just so much trauma around the system of foster care in Canada that I'm I'm not sure if, if it's the same for other places. But like personally, as a foster kid, I found it traumatic going to court all the time. And like having to testify against my parents and like having to see my parents and having to apply for restraining orders and like the whole experience of being taken away and then put into these homes that are overfilled is so traumatic. And then it kind of seems like at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, I hope you learn something. Bye. Like, uh, it seems like there's something lacking. I don't know. (laughs) Um. Speaking on that, it's so unfortunate that you being as young as that, that you have to be put through that. That's why can't somebody just testify on your behalf? Like, I think with the younger kids, because I know in at least in BC for sure, I provincial law and federal law is always so weird. I don't understand how they become different, but I know for sure for provincial law in BC, you're in charge of your own autonomy at 12. So you can go to court Ooh. against your parents at 12. Um, and I was 15 when I was going to court against my parents. But there were also like a lot of other factors in my case. Like it wasn't just me saying, hey, 
my parents don't deserve to have me back home. Like my birth home is unsafe, but it's also like, um, you know, violation of like my rights and like criminal behavior on my parents' part and like me having to testify against those things and then like them uh, violating the restraining order. I I guess it, it really depends on like how that person's parents make that experience for them because my parents made the experience um, very rough for me. They really worked hard to try to get things thrown out of court and like try to get a uh, court dismissed by acting like belligerent and like just being strange and unruly. So it took years for us to finally get like what I needed out of it. But I'm sure there are other people who like wish their parents would show up in court and like they just don't because they don't care. I'm uh I'm not glad that you went through that, but as it because you were a teenager, I am glad that you didn't go through that as a single digit kid because that's that's what I thought you were talking about. Like you're sitting on a like a a bench at nine and testifying against your parents or something like that. Like that's what I thought you were talking about, and that would be as bad as it is to be a teenager and go on the court. That would be way worse. Yeah, I imagine they don't do that because i know mostly they just want to have the social workers testify yeah that's uh, okay that's yeah. what i was hoping for because when you were saying that and i'm like what did she have to go in there as like a really little kid and do that why like why wouldn't you know somebody testify on her behalf for that i'm glad to hear that they do because that would be insane otherwise yeah i mean even for me at 15 they still set me up with a victim's advocate and like, I still don't really know what her job was supposed to be because oh, she just kind of sat with me. It didn't really feel advocated for. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, you would tell her all this stuff's happening and she's like, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, what? I don't I don't know what she was supposed to do. <laughs> I still I don't know what her job description was, but uh, it didn't feel like she was <laughs> she was doing anything for me. And here's the thing that sucks about that. If you go to somebody that's in, maybe in charge of her or would be involved in her performance in some way or whatever, and you're like, man, she's just she's not doing her job. You got to do something. You got to tell her to fucking get a job at Tim Hortons or something because this this isn't working out for her. They would probably just they would probably do the same thing to you like mm-hmm, 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 and, they and not would. do they would. And not do anything about because you probably did that, right? You were like, she's not advocating for me. You got to do something about her. And they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what happened. But you know what they did do, though? They got me my own lawyer. So I had the MCFD lawyer advocating for me, and I had my own lawyer. And my lawyer was such a character. He must have been <laughs> like four feet tall. Um, he drove the biggest suburban i've ever seen it completely filled with papers and he had uh (laughs) he had this big i think it was a golden lab or something but he always had blonde dog hairs all over him he loved dogs (laughs) and his attitude was huge his attitude was like eight feet tall and uh i remember we were going to court and i was sitting in the court library waiting to like be called up or whatever and he comes in and he's like look your dad's in the courtroom, but I swear to God, if he tries anything, I'm going to put you over my shoulder and carry you out of there. <laughs> and I'm wow. talking this guy. He he must he must be one of the few Canadians that carries a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. 
Either that or he's he's got like a 20-inch 20, 20 cock and it's just like that's unlimited swag at that point. Just like <laughs> it's just ferocious. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think uh, my experience in foster care is probably different than a lot of other foster kids' experiences. I'm from a very small town. Resources were very limited. And I'm, I know from hearing from other people, like, Foster homes are full and like overfilled everywhere. And that's why we have group homes now. And uh, I came into foster care when I was a teenager. So I was already all the way fucked up at that point. I came into foster care at age 15. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm sharing spaces with like people I've never met. And it just kind of feels like you're always just sharing space like not even sharing space but like temporarily taking up space and you have to be so thankful for it because so many times they were like well if another foster mom says she doesn't want you we have to send you to this bigger city so we can put you in a group home and those things are terrifying (laughs) oh yeah because there's probably some really sinister people there and because yeah once you increase the, the the sample size of something yeah it could probably go really awry Um, Group homes, basically, they don't have very much supervision and it's just you come and go as you please. And there's absolutely no nurturing. And like when I came into foster care, I had had no nurturing. So um, I still needed like what a five year old kid would need at 15. Um, And even then, like the amount of care that I was getting in foster care wasn't enough. And like we did talk about this earlier where like I was the only white foster kid in like the district. Oh, I bang my mic in the district (laughs) that I was in. But when you look at it, this is a problem all over the place. Like in Canada, in general, indigenous children make up 7.7% of all children in Canada. Yet indigenous children take up 53.8% of the foster care population. So there's a little bit of discrepancy. Yeah. What what's interesting about that is I would have thought like what is Inuit is that is that the proper term for no in Inuit I think is like the slang term for people who live in like the northern provinces like Nunavut and like uh the things that sound made up but (laughs) people here people here say indigenous or First Nations that's that's I'll go with that then First Nations. Well, that's what I was about to mention, though. It's kind of interesting that there was such a, a large concentration where you were of uh, them, because like you said, you were the only white one versus, you know, that's not really where they inhabit, though. It, it seems like it's like what? It, yeah, like the uh, I wish I knew the provinces better, but like none of it, for example, like that seems like where that would be a huge concentration of uh, First Nations rather than British Columbia. Yeah, well, British Columbia does have uh, quite a few reservations. Where I'm from, there's like so many different, I guess they call them bands there. But there was in that one town that I was in when I was going through care, there was two or even I think three reservations there. And yet mostly, yeah, there was a lot of reservation land. And even where I live now, there's still a lot of reservation land. And I think the um, indigenous population is like bigger in the prairie provinces, from what I understand. Like Manitoba has a really high indigenous population. Probably because they displaced them there. They're like, well, fuck it. We can't use anything in Manitoba besides Winnipeg. Let's just all funnel them over there. 
<laughs> I do think that happens. I definitely know that, like, especially with the homeless population, the government will like give them bus tickets to go somewhere else. Oh man, it does happen. And Ugh. but historically, there's a bigger Métis population in Manitoba. That's where the Red River Rebellion happened, and that's where Louis Riel led the Métis people to, you know, their whatever their goal was. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I actually, I want to visit a res out in the Pacific Northwest because I want to see the totem art. I really like uh, the art of the tribes out there. The sad thing is I don't see much of it anymore. I I know there was a residential school that was standing in Alert Bay, which is like quite close. Like it's a adjacent island, I guess. Um, it's a very small community, but there was a residential school there and there was tons of like First Nations art and like totem poles. And I think a lot of it got taken down when they demolished the residential school. They said they demolished oh, it because it was uh, because it was a safety risk. But I think they demolished it because it's um, makes people sad. I don't know. Uh, I don't see how a totem pole poses a risk to anybody, but I guess that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you, if you visit my Yikes. hometown, there's a. Uh, there's a lot of First Nations representation and like the one main mall there has like the really big totem pole in there that I always really liked. Well, I'm a, I'm glad at least like some places are trying to preserve the art, but I, I really like that art form, though. And uh, yeah. it's it's a shame that if people are demolishing it just for the fuck of it, basically. Mm hmm. All right, we are back, Sweet Cheeks Capone and I. Um, before we dig into adoption, I wanted to ask her this question. Are you familiar with South Park? Yeah, I'm pretty familiar with South Park. Are you familiar with the way that Canadians are depicted on it? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> of course I, I am, yes. So two questions then. First of all, mm -hmm. fair, warranted, basically. And then second, uh, do you find it funny? I definitely find it funny. I always, when I was a child watching American TV and then seeing the way Canadians were depicted in general, I always thought like, damn, like, do we really sound like that? That's so <laughs> crazy. But then, you, you, then when you go east and you hear people from like New Brunswick or Newfoundland, <laughs> they really are on a different planet and they do sound like those uh, stereotypes that get depicted in like South Park and stuff. So like, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I just think, you know, what are my, you talking like, about? Booty? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it definitely exists out there. It's just, our heads are connected. Like my mouth is connected to my head. That's the only <laughs> surprise I think you might have. Uh, I never, I don't understand why they, they do that. And then I don't know a lot of Canadian, like you said, though, I guess uh, out in the, the islands east or whatever, like in Nova Scotia or whatever, they're like, oh, uh, you're not my friend guy. And what are you talking about? And all that, I guess maybe they do that. But I never so I never understood that, though. And then the thing they do with the cars. Do you do you remember what South Park does with the cars? Because they rarely ever depict this. No, but no, I don't remember that. The the cars in Canada have square wheels. <laughs> what? The cars in Canada have square wheels. 
Oh my God. You know, sometimes it feels that way, especially here in BC. <laughs> we have a lot of different like road rules here in BC. So like people will come over from Alberta and Alberta, damn, they're right next to us, but they're a completely different planet over there. Uh, they'll come with their like modded out cars and their like tint and everything. But like everything for cars in BC is so regulated. Like your tint can't be darker than like this specific shade and it can't be on your front windows and you can't have your windshield tinted and like your uh, exhaust pipe can't be more than this big and it can't, you know, it has to be off the ground this much and your wheel well has to stick <laughs> out as far as your tires. It just, there's too many. Oh, and when you come to a red light in BC, you can turn right. You don't have to stop. There's specific instances, at least in Massachusetts, where you cannot do that. There'll be a sign that actually says, do not turn red. Uh, and I understand why that is, because there'll just be people that are flying through those type of intersections and not paying attention to the guy that's about to turn right. Yeah. So I understand sometimes why that is. Other times I'm like, why the fuck is this sign here? Like, I should be able to turn on a, on a red light right now. But yeah, you, you know, there's there's like I said, sometimes it's, it feels like it's understandable to me. But we have yeah. those same insane rules here though like oh uh you need this that and the other on your car or we'll fucking tow it away and you'll have to pay an impound fee and you have to go to court and it'll be a misdemeanor and they just get fucking wild from there yeah well i don't know if anywhere else is like this but there's only one car insurance company in bc <laughs> what <laughs> the government has complete control over our insurance rates so we all pay ridiculous amounts for car insurance oh that sucks because i'm gonna say oh well maybe they're catching you know you're catching a break with that but apparently not like no all, all paying through the nose i guess <laughs> yeah and like whatever you know i'll pay extra for my vanity plate or whatever i'm fine with that oh um, okay play. <laughs> that's what's up yeah i used to have one of those Back yeah, in the, back in the days when I was uh when I was doing hip hop, I I had a V plate. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I, but I like you still up. have to get all of your basic insurance through the government insurance, and then you can get like your extended like kind of extra stuff through private insurance. But you still have to be covered by that one government regulated insurance company, and it's so ridiculous. See, we we have uh, high insurance here. But we also have choice. But it doesn't matter if they're all fucking gouging us. <laughs> if they're all working together. <laughs> yeah, if they're all working together and be like, let's let's charge these poor saps, you know, what a hundred bucks or whatever per month for their their coverage. If they're all doing that, what's what's the the big deal with having choice? You know, so it doesn't really matter. We're we're just as fucked as Canadians, basically. So, or, or at least ones in BC. <laughs> yeah, no, other provinces are just fine. Like people in our Alberta are like shocked when they come to BC and they're like, <laughs> I can only be insured by this company and they want me to pay $300 a month. That was, that, that's crazy. <laughs> it really is, though. Those The people of Alberta have a point. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I'll say to them, hey, don't get out of Calgary, man. You, you got everything you need over there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Except the ocean. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As a as a guy who grew up on the shoreline, I do miss it sometimes. I don't really I miss the stench. The 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 stench is uh it can be terrible at times, but I love everything else about the ocean though. So you have to appreciate the ocean parts. You just have to. Oh wait, you, you know what though? You probably don't have shark attacks out there, do you? 
Shark attacks? No. Yeah. Oh, we we have it where I live. So that's two things they hate about the ocean. <laughs> Crazy. Besides- I mean, I stepped on an oyster once and it kind of cut my foot, but that's <laughs> it. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, you you got to be careful of uh, the New England oceans. A lot of uh, more than just oysters to worry about. Horseshoe crabs, jellyfish, sharks. Yeah, there's all sorts of crazy menaces out, out there. But crazy. I like the ocean because I can go fishing. Though. I'll, I'll catch a couple scups and a a, a a blue fish and a sea robin now and again. So that's now, do you what, that's have to like have it. a do you have to have a fishing license down there for freshwater? You certainly do. For for saltwater, I never I I never really looked into that, but I've never been busted by a game warden either, being like, "Oh, well, you shouldn't be fishing out here. It's a fifty dollar fine or whatever." So, oh my god, but, the, we have a whole uh, Department of Fisheries and Oceans, so they're like the ocean cops, and <laughs> they are very prevalent here. Yeah, they um, like I said, they'll they'll nab you for freshwater. I I almost got nabbed in uh, Kansas because that's an uh, you know that's another place where. I did fishing or whatever. And there's uh what was it? Mead Lake or something like that. I used to go a lot with my buddy. Shout out to Mike. But so yeah, uh he and his wife and his kid would, would go fishing. They invite uh my wife and I along at the time. It was just me and me and my wife at the time. So we'd go fishing and I think that was the name of the place, Mead Lake. But their warden would always be driving around trying to to fucking bust people that were uh he'd be like, Oh, let me let me see your license or whatever. And if they had a fishing pole in his their hand, that's the the way he would nab them. And we never got busted, but it, it got close a couple of times where I'm just like, okay, I got to put this pole down and walk away because I see him. I see the guy like driving around trying to like nab people or whatever. So, yeah, oh, the, yeah, they had places like Kansas. They had nothing better to do. So like the cops and stuff out there would love to bust people. So the wardens were no different because there's nothing else to do out there. There's it's. It's like Saskatchewan. There's just miles of fucking hilly, hilly prairies, and that's it. <laughs> like, and that's that's another funny thing that people think about Kansas, though. It's like, oh, it's just a flat land. I'm like, no, the fuck it ain't, because I ran up all those hills with the army. So <laughs> 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 definitely, it's it's not as flat as you think it is. <laughs> Do you? Um, I don't know if. I know because in Canada, we get a lot of American TV, but in in America, do they get any Canadian TV? Like, have you ever seen Corner Gas? No, I haven't seen that. I Kenny versus Spenny. And what's the Trailer Park Boys? Oh, Trailer Park Boys. And and, uh, Letter Kenny. Fuck, I love Letter Kenny. I love (laughs) Letter Kenny. Oh, my God. It just being from a small town i'm like that's it that's what it's like (laughs) that's like it for like major canadian television though the only other things i get is i get strangely enough i get a cfl game occasionally and then hockey that's like it so yeah we don't really get a a lot of canadian television down here but i'll tell you what kenny versus spenny that's my favorite reality show of all time so i'm glad that i got to you know I can I can even watch that on YouTube now. And I even because um it, it first came on Game Show Network down here. Oh, so I, like, I love Game Show Network. Oh, me too. I'll watch the shit out of like Pyramid and Press Your Luck and shit like Lingo. that. Lingo. Uh, yeah, Link. I loved Chuck Woolery on Lingo. Yep. But uh, yeah. So that's how they kind of they they marketed it to American audiences at first. They're like, this is a game show, or whatever. Which it totally is not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a. There's a winner and a loser, and sometimes there's a draw, but that's really, 
you need a little bit more for you need like contestants winning prizes and stuff like that and money and I mean Kenny and Spenny got paid but they didn't win prizes or <laughs> unless they count a humiliation as a prize. <laughs> oh, so. my, a, a pubic hair cracker definitely sounds like a prize oh, to me. Oh <laughs> man. Oh. No, you know what was worse is when they rolled up that joint with everybody oh. on the cruise here. I think Bobby even though Bobby did the pew biscuit, I think he was there for the 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 crew one too. So you know everybody contributed or whatever, and they fucking rolled it up, and then he took a wicked massive rip off that joint, and I think he blew a ring off of it too. If, I, if oh my, my god, my memory serves me correctly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I literally when um licking the bird poop though was one that always makes me turn oh. the TV off. It lit it literally makes me throw up. See, I can I can sit through everything they've ever done, and sometimes I don't like it as much because they'll be like, "Oh, here's Spenny again, nude ass on a fucking <laughs> scaffold, uh, washing the windows." So it's like shit like that. Even that, you know, that that I don't shut it off, even if that bothers me. Mm -hmm. I just I don't know. I I can take it. After after going through the army for nine years, I can fucking take anything. It feels like there's like very few things that can still like trigger me. <laughs> mm. And nothing that nothing that Kenny and Spenny do though that that will it will do it for me. Oh, and you know, um, speaking of Army, speaking yeah. of Army, Corporal Francis, I met a lot of guys like that in the United States Army. So that guy is like, you, occasionally there's these fans out there like, oh, Kenny versus Spenny is fake. They hire actors or whatever. I'll say this much: I don't believe that. But even if they do, that guy was not an actor. That, like I said, I've met people like that in the United States Army. So those people yeah. do exist where they're fucking completely nuts like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, not even that long ago, uh, I sent in my application to the Army, to the Canadian Forces. I remember, uh, I, I'll edit this next part out. I remember, I remember that, though, because you didn't get a good reaction from your husband. And I, f I found that very uncool. I don't remember that. Your what husband, did I tell you about it? Your husband was... You didn't tell me this privately, actually. This is how I, I, I found out about it, though. It was just oh, like one of your... Twitter. Yeah, it was like one of your random tweets or, or Facebook or something where you're like, I told my husband I, I want to join the army and he's going to leave me or something like that. I'm like... That is completely fucked up. Like, as a husband or a wife or anything, you should be supportive of that. Now, I understand it can get to a point where it's like, I didn't want to move all over the country, uh, you know, this many times where, but you should at least let somebody do one tour. You should be supportive of at least of that much. And then, you know, if a lot more tours happen and one spouse is like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I understand that. But one tour is not a lot to ask of a spouse. A spouse should be no. like, yeah, two or three years. Yeah, we can live somewhere for two or three years if that's what you want to do. Now, like I said, if the three years are up and you're like, well, I want to re-up for another three years and we're going to move somewhere else. And I can understand that being a lot to deal with and be like, you know, uh, I, I, can't, I can't keep on doing this every three or four years or, or whatever the case is. I understand that. But to not even be supportive enough to give you like two or three years, that's that's fucked up. He, sh he should have been like, yeah, we can live somewhere else and you can do this for a little while. Yeah, I'm totally cool with that. So when when you actually posted that, I got a little bit heated because like I said, that was like felt like almost like a personal attack on me. <laughs> oh, my God. Because if 
you know, if Crystal was like that with me for the, the amount of time I spend in the army, I'd be like, whew, this is fuck. You can't fucking do this to me. This is fucked up. I'm serving my country. Like, you can't put up even being somewhere else for a little while. Like, you're a spouse. You should be more supportive. Yeah. And, you know, so, you don't have to edit this out, but um, I, I already feel like. Uh, I'm in the military because, you know, my husband is a stay at home husband. He does everything around the house and I'm always out working. Like only now do I kind of have more of a work life balance, but it always feels like I'm out of the house working, doing something to support him. So, uh, going and joining the army didn't seem like that much of a stretch for me, but also I can see his side of it where like, I am very mentally unstable and look, I am working on it. But it is something that I would do in a manic state of mind. Like, oh, let's join the army. Let's, this sounds like a cool oh, thing to do. <laughs> um, but I did go through with it. I initially was like, nah, well, you know, maybe I won't be feeling it in a bit. But I did become very passionate about it. And I set up my time for my, uh, what we call a CFAT. Um, it's ju just the evaluation test or whatever. Um, not sure what they call that in the States. But it's a CFAT it's here. Ours is called the ASVAB. And then that, yeah. um, you just do medical stuff where it's like, oh, spread your asshole. Okay, you got no hemorrhoids. You're good to go. Basically. Oh, color tests. Uh, what else? Uh, um, they check your feet to see if your feet are fucked up. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just a whole gamut of stuff. But yeah, that's, uh, the, <laughs> that's the, the ASVAB, though, is just the, the technical part. Like, oh, it's two plus two. And um, I don't know, shit, questions like that, basically. Yeah, exactly. But like all of the media I've consumed about the military, I think mostly is focused on the American military. And I was just ready to go into this and like answer basic questions or whatever. But these questions were actually hard. Like I haven't done fractions since elementary school and there were so many fractions. Like, <laughs> oh, I can't remember how to do fractions, but apparently out of my group and look, the group that I was in when I did my CFAT Everybody in there looked like, you know, this was kind of their only thing that they were going to be able to do. Like everybody in there is a diamond in the rough, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> a lot of mouth breathers in there. And when I came, <laughs> when I came out of my CFAD, immediately the Air Force guy pulled me aside and he's like, hey, like you got a really good score on your CFAT. We want to do an interview with you right now. And I was like, oh, OK, like this sounds great. And so I got interviewed by the Air Force and they were like, super ready to take me in as an officer because I have my degree. And they're like, oh yeah, just go into the medical office, real quick thing. Um, and then just come out and like, you know, you'll be good to go. And then uh, I go into the medical office and come to find out you can't join the military if you've had like a psych psychiatric episode. And because I have a history of psychiatric episodes and like I'm on psychiatric medication, I can't join the military. And they had to hand me that in the medical office. And it was like, crushing like soul crushing and i left there crying i can understand that there was a guy though that i guess they didn't discover that earlier so he he went through meps which is the the name of the building where we do the the military processing mm -hmm. so when you when you go through meps whether you're just doing your asvab or your medical or you're actually shipping out that's where you have to go through so we went through meps and at meps they're like oh you know this is your last chance to disclose any medical stuff but I know your recruiters probably told you, don't tell any of this stuff, but we need to know it because you might hurt yourself at basic. And of course, everybody keeps their fucking mouth shut. 
But so the same thing happens though when you get to uh I went to South Carolina, but there's a bunch of different uh basic training places. So the same thing happens when you get there though. These drill sergeants come out and they start yelling at you and they're like, you know, you have to get evaluated here. And I know, you know, your drill sergeants told you to lie to us, but we need to know the truth because you'll get hurt. Same pretty much same speech they they give you at MEPS. One guy who who is in the same barracks as me. He actually admitted that he had problems, so with like mental health problems, so he got kicked out. And he came back. He was he was about to cry, but he was all punching the lockers and shit. And he's like, "It's not mm-hmm. fair. It's not fucking fair." It's like, why didn't you lie? Because you obviously lied to the Meps people. You told your recruiter the truth, I bet, but he said lie, and then you lied to the Meps people. Why didn't you lie again? I never understood this. Because he wasn't the only guy, but that stood out to me because he was so angry, like he had to be restrained. But it's just oh. like, why Why wouldn't you lie? Because that's what you did before this. Why wouldn't you just lie again? <laughs> yeah, it's... I get that. I But <laughs> it in the place that I went to attest in, like they uh, ask you so many questions and they are so hard on you. They're like, um, if you lie on any of these and we find out that you lied on any of these, you're going to military prison. And trust me, you don't want to go to military prison. I'm like, damn, this is tough. <laughs> That's, I don't I don't think that would have happened. Like I said, I don't know Canadian law or anything, but I don't think that would have happened to you. I think they would have acquitted you. But you, mm. you definitely would have been barred from joining anyways. But yeah. you, in your case, you couldn't lie because you are in medicine and they're going to do your analysis and they're going to be like, oh, what's this, you know, in her piss or whatever. Yeah. That's, that guy, he didn't have anything like that. He wasn't like taking like antipsychotics or well, he should have been because he was going nuts after <laughs> he got yeah. out. But he like like I said though, I mean, he shouldn't. He should have just he should have lied because at Meps they're gonna give you a piss test anyways, and he got he got through that first one. Mm-hmm. So if they sit you down and they're like, oh, tell us any of your maladies or whatever, why is he like, oh, well, I got this going on because he didn't do that at Meps clearly. So, but they just he, broke him. They broke him. Yeah, he. he I don't even think he just he wanted to be an honest guy. He just got nervous and he's just like, okay, I'm gonna tell them everything. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was stupid on his part. Mm-hmm. Now, I I know we're supposed to be talking about foster care and adoption, yeah. and you know, sweet cheeks loves tangents, and so don't I. <laughs> but, but I've never had a tangent go down on me. <laughs> like I said, I, I'll I'll go down on a tangent. That's how, how much I love a tangent. I'll totally go all the way down on one. <laughs> but I do have to ask this South Park question before we go back to adoption. Okay. Um, do do Canadians find um fart and queef humor funny? How does anybody not find fart and queef humor funny? I didn't really find Terrence and Philip funny. I mean, sometimes they are, but <laughs> well, the I, num- perso- I personally find fart and queef humor funny. I think it just varies from person to person. <laughs> I mean, I know my husband is the complete opposite. He doesn't like the fart jokes. He doesn't think that they're <laughs> funny, but a fart joke will get me every time. <laughs> Maybe it's just Terrence and Philip then, because uh, they're the number one show in Canada. Fake, of course, but they're the number one show in Canada. And uh, the boys of South Park really uh, love Terrence and Philip, so... I was just wondering if uh, maybe they even that's a, even though that's a fake show, maybe they captured the humor of uh, Canadians by creating Terrence and Philip. And then, but isn't the, Terrence and Philip supposed to be Kenny versus Benny? No, no, no. Terrence and Philip, they're just like 
it's like almost Abbott and Costello. Like they'll set up this routine or whatever. And then they'll be like, they'll just fart as like the punchline instead of like actually do, telling a joke. So I they'll think be that's like, funny. Oh, uh, Terrence, uh, can you look at my ass real quick? It, it feels <laughs> sore. And then Phil will be like, yeah, sure, Terrence. And then he'll walk up and then he'll fart in his face and they'll both laugh or whatever. And the, the Quiff sisters, because that's, um, I guess it's one of those New Brunswick people you're talking about that is the announcer of the Quiff sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, they tell Quiff jokes. So they'll be like, oh, Catherine, uh, my vagina hurts. You want to take a look at it? Oh, sure. And then she'll queef in her face and then they'll both laugh. So <laughs> if anybody says to you like, oh, take a look at my butthole, it hurts. And like you willingly put your face in their butthole. You deserve to get farted. Like, I agree. <laughs> I'm not a proctologist. So somebody's like, my ass hurts. Take a look at it. I'll be like, OK, I'm going to stand across the room with binoculars because there's no way I'm getting close to that. And I do. I shouldn't even have to do this. But I'm going to do it as a favor to you because your ass is on fire and it, it could be bad. So I'm going to, okay, I'm going to suck it up and take a look at it. But that's the only way I'm going to do it because exactly, I'm not going to get my face farted on. I'm not a fucking proctologist. It's like, even for me to, you to request this out of me, it better be an emergency because even if we're buddies or family or whatever, I don't want to get, I don't want to take a look at that. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm an adult and I just I take pictures of my gaping asshole and I send them to my mom friends so I can ask them if it looks like a diaper rash or if I should go to the doctor. Oh, <laughs> still, uh, like I said, uh, I, I don't know. That's just me, I guess. I can't I don't want to get so, close to somebody's asshole. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stand across the room with binoculars and see what I can surmise from it. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, same thing with the the Quiff sisters. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put my face next to somebody's vagina if it's on fire. No. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll be like, no, go see the gyno. That's uh, I'll uh, again if it's an emergency, I'll get the binoculars out, stand across the room. But that's the only way that's going down. I don't want to get queefed on. <laughs> no, you don't want to get BV in your eyelids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't need an STI in my fucking eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> Or my nose, or <laughs> I guess I wouldn't have my mouth open if I did get close. <laughs> oh, you better not. <laughs> so I definitely won't get it in the mouth, but I'll get it everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll get lucky. Only hit me in the eyebrows. I can wash it out. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any eyebrows left. <laughs> All right. We covered South Park. We covered Terrence and Philip. We covered the cars with the square wheels. I don't know if there's any other Canadian depictions. So, oh, do they call pussy up in Canada strange? I've I've heard it been referred to as strange, yeah. But like what? usually when somebody what is when that somebody about? when somebody says I'm gonna get some strange, it usually refers to like uh, a one night stand or like going to a club to pick up some chick you don't know. What I guess because they they used it on South Park, and I was like, I never heard. You know, it called uh, he's going to Ike was going to tame Foof is strange because Ike, you know, he's a little boy. He likes Yo Gabba Gabba, but he mm-hmm. was taking he was taking hormones by mistake. So he turned into like a little boy that was a man. He's like, oh, Fufa. Oh, I'm going to tame her strange or whatever. I'm like, I, I've never heard that before. <laughs> I've never heard so. it used that way, but uh, <laughs> no, but it has been used before. See, we don't do that. In, 
at least nobody I know has said that in America. It's um, which is like, oh, I'm gonna get some puss or or something like that, or well, the one night stand. That's the that's what they'll say too. Basically, oh, I'm gonna get laid tonight, or I'm gonna get a one night stand, or whatever. I never heard I'm gonna get some strange. So yeah, but then again, American slang can be funny because President Trump said he's gonna grab pussy, and I never said that in a locker room. So I don't know if the. He, <laughs> I, he probably thought that was a really fucking cool line to throw out there. Like, oh, grab by the pussy order. I'm like, who the fuck says that? <laughs> yeah, you're a, it's you're a, a liar. thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If I grab somebody by the pussy, I'm going to get slapped next. I guess because he's a millionaire, he can do that. But uh, I'm going to grab other parts. And if that goes well, then I'll do something else with a pussy. I'm not going to fucking grab it. So yeah. I don't know what he's thinking. He's on a fucking different planet, though. <laughs> yeah. It's because it's because he's a television star. Because I think that's what he even said before, though. Oh, if you're a TV star, you can do whatever you want. So, yeah. Yeah. I, so uh, I guess I won't ever be a TV star because I don't like grabbing pussies. I like doing other things to them. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel that. <laughs> All right. Now on to adoption. And um, I just I. I, adoption needs reform. We're just going to throw it out there. Mm-hmm. So these are a couple of the ideas I came up with, and um, I guess we'll discuss them one-on-one. Sure. And I think this first one, because of what you've said earlier, I think you're going to agree with me, mm-hmm. but we need to eliminate state-to-state laws for uh, adoption and make the laws federal so they apply to everyone, not just, oh, well, this state does it this way and the other one does That doesn't work. And I don't think that would work in Canada. I don't think I don't think you can have, um, you know, province to province laws. I think it should all be, you know, national. So uh, what's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, child welfare laws, I feel like even like internationally should be the same. Like, shouldn't we all be on the same page about what happens to the welfare of children? Um, I don't think they can do something like that, though, because. <laughs> Well, I know. I know it's not possible because the world leaders are never going to agree on anything, even if it's something as basic as keeping children safe. Yeah, because the Um, U.N. could be like, oh, you should do this or whatever. And you'll have like North Korea or somebody saying, oh, fuck that. That's some Western bullshit, even though I think it's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's never no one's ever going to agree on that. But at least the country itself should be able to agree on something. And even here in Canada, the child welfare laws are different province to province. Like I know here in B.C., like the premiers have decided that uh, foster kids get tuition waived in universities. And now it's B.C. wide that foster kids can go to university for free. But there are there's a lot of competition now because everybody wants to go to university. Um, and then there's different like money pots that you can access as a former youth in care as well to go to university in BC. But the the laws are different across Canada with that. They actually, in uh, the United States, they want to make all state colleges uh, free. And oh. a lot of people are outraged by that because uh, <laughs> they're like, fuck everybody else. Uh, um, that's the one thing I'll say about America. There's a lot of uh, selfishness, and um, it's kind of ugly, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I still I love being American for everything else, but that reason. That's when I see those people, that that just kind of turns me off, or whatever. Well, but, I can um, understand people being mad, like, oh, I have all of this student debt, and now these people can go to school for free. 
maybe like start by forgiving the student debt that exists and no, make they, it more equal? They've done that too. A lot of student debt just got forgiven, but there's still still a ton out there. But so yeah, people who paid off all their student loans though, they're they're pissed off about that because it's like, yeah. well, I I had to take out all this money and why shouldn't you know? I kind of look at it like I'm a guy who can go to a state school for free even before all this happened because I served in the army. So it's like, okay, you can go to either a state school for free or you can go to Harvard for one semester. So even having that though, and then seeing, you know, it's like, oh, I had to serve in like one of the worst, hardest, toughest jobs just to get that free education or whatever. When they started discussing this, um, like, oh, you know, it's going to, everybody can go to a state school or whatever. I kind of looked at it like good, good on them because I'm, I'm one of those guys where it's like if somebody has it better than me, that's good because that, that's, that's what I, I, I want to see things progress. I don't want to see things be, you know, old or worse than they used to be or draconian or, you know, whatever way you want to describe it. I, I want things to progress and I, I feel like that that's a progressive thing. So even though I had to suffer in the army for um you know for my tuition to be like a free ride anywhere i go basically i'm glad that all, all these other people are having that opportunity too cuz that's that's a progressive thing it's not like oh let's let's punish these people like this i mean yeah that is valid though because poverty creates poverty so like people will will not get opportunities if they have to pay to have an education because you need an education to get a good job and work yourself out of poverty. So handing that like free education to people really is a big step. And I don't think people should see it as an injustice to those who can afford that kind of a luxury. I think we should see it as like, oh, wow, we've like come so far another step. It's exactly like, it's like people who get mad about like gay rights, like, oh, my gosh, gays can get married. I remember when I got married and it was just me and a woman like, oh, sorry, you're like upset because you like decided to be heterosexual. Like, I don't know. Um, or like <laughs> women's suffrage, like, oh, women vote now. What Back in my day, we would just like work in the kitchen, like being mad about stuff like that is ridiculous. Um, There's it's funny you mentioned that. The gay marriage thing, that's kind of new. So people being pissed off at about it, I, I at least understand that much about it because it's a, it's a new concept. But mm. there's, there's still people out there. Women's suffrage, at least in America, is like 100 years old. There's probably people out there that are still upset that women have the right to vote. Yeah. <laughs> that is not a new concept. That is an old concept, and they're still mad about it. So there's just there's people that are going to be – they're going to find reasons. They like – they get like fucking hard ons from being mad. And that's that's yeah. why they, they find reasons to be mad. Cause it's like, well, I need an erection right now for whatever reason. What can I be pissed off about? <laughs> so they go through their uh, erection Rolodex and they're like, mm, gay rights. Yeah, that will make me nice and hard. Oh, fucking <laughs> the gays are able to marry. Oh, 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 man, my cock's getting so hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> so. It, you're just you're always gonna have that population of people and it sucks but what what were we talking oh yeah the universality of the laws though Um, yeah i like i said i figured we'd be on the same page about that but we have to consider this though is there any reason why the the laws shouldn't be universal is there anything that you can come up with i can't come up with anything specific and granted i don't know the laws of all 50 states versus uh adoption and whatnot but I'm almost like, okay, does Massachusetts do something different than all other 49 states because there's a reason to do that? I'm hoping that's the only reason why the laws aren't universal because they have a damn good reason not to do it. 
Yeah, I guess. I can't come up with a single reason why childcare should be different across Canada. No, I, I mean, maybe for like the northern provinces where like people probably shouldn't uh, like put kids out in the snow or whatever when it's like below 40. But I don't know, man. <laughs> Like, just, like, very basic things, like, be- being different from, like, the prairie provinces um, and, like, you know, having the, the ocean next to you. Not all provinces have that. So, like, but we're all, like, the same people, really, like, when it comes down to it. So, I don't see a reason for things to be different. Uh, again, I, I'm on the same page with you. Like, I can't, I can't understand, like, why some random state will be like, this is the way we do it and we need to do it this way. When all the other states are kind of looking at it like that's fucked up and that, you know, that hinders us from being like universal on because it really there there shouldn't be any reason, even if they the state itself thinks it's a good one or maybe it should just be reviewed constantly to be like, okay, 10 years ago that that was important to have in place. Now, maybe not so much. Maybe they don't even look at that, though. But because there's maybe they feel like, oh, there's so much other things to look at, but they're fucking I in my opinion, they're lazy and they don't look at anything. But um I think that's maybe if they reviewed the laws even more, they'd be like, Hey, we don't need this state adoption law anymore. Maybe we should drop it and that will move us closer to thinking as one federally as because the I, I'm a I'm a big fan of states' rights and um and a lot of things. But I think there's uh, adoption is one of those things where it's like this is for the common good of everybody involved so it should just be all federally related like there shouldn't be such staggering as, as like with states laws and what's not but I do think the one thing that would have an effect on it is like the funding for each province because mm. I know BC like it's we've, we're quite rich resource wise and then a place like Quebec is not very rich resource wise. <laughs> so there's not a lot of money to go around there. So like being able to fund like classes for parents who potentially want to adopt, um, to be able to fund programs like that, it would be harder in one of those places or like Alberta's just pumping with money. So like their mental health system is way better than ours. Um, so I think just the money aspect would be the main reason for differences between provinces especially when it comes to childcare, because it is very expensive you, you know what quebec scares me more than a black bear on a nature trail uh but <laughs> it scares I've, me more too i've i've wanted to go though don't get me wrong but i feel like i'm gonna go up there and i'm gonna be on one of the ruse because that's what they call the streets mm-hmm. and uh they're just gonna speak to me in french and i'm gonna be like uh casque like and then just get the fuck out of there because i know I don't know any French, so. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, like culturally, usually they'll make fun of you if you're trying. Like if you're an English person there, like just trying to speak French, they'll be like, ah, look at this idiot. Like, uh, <laughs> what, what did you say? Bonjour. Uh, that's so funny. Ha oh, ha. He's speaking French or he thinks he is. Ha oh, oh. <laughs> like, ha. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you fucking asshole. I'm trying to adapt to you. <laughs> yeah. That that's why I don't think I'll ever go up to Montreal, even though I've always wanted to. But maybe someday. I think if the, the comedy festival is the only thing that they have there. If uh, 
if I uh, if if I become big with this podcast, I can hire a translator and a bodyguard, and then I'll I'll be straight up there. I'll be fine. Yeah, that's probably better. <laughs> you did bring up a good before we touch on my my next bullet point. You did bring up a good point though. It it could just be a money thing, and I'm just not realizing it. But again, you can federally you can just federally address that with taxes or whatever, and people will be pissed. Oh, my taxes are are going up and uh you know this that and the other about ta- it's like dude they they're fucking just putting you over the barrel so maybe they'll actually spend the tax money on this and do something good rather than just fucking line their pockets with it but that's that's my opinion i don't know dude the crazy <laughs> thing is though here in bc they tax the shit out of us they tax the shit out of us so much people will come over from alberta and they'll be like, why, why the fuck are your taxes so high? You guys just <laughs> love paying taxes. And like, we don't even have that good of like a welfare system. Like, where the fuck is this tax money going? Like, you know, they can't fix the potholes. Foster kids are homeless. The hospitals are overrun. Maybe the prison systems are doing okay. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but there's no mental health resources for anybody. All the systems are all clogged up and we're still getting ridiculous taxes. Um, and I know... We just got our carbon tax raised, so now we pay more for gas than probably anywhere. Um, in Alberta, they have like quite they have very low taxes. Everybody's getting paid more. Um, and they their property value isn't as high, where you know, whoever the powers that be that decide what pa- property value is, but it's cheaper to live in Alberta and you get taxed less. See what the the issue is is those Alberta people are just being nosy. So <laughs> Next, next time they come over to British Columbia and they give you a hard time, I know you, you guys aren't big on guns, but you can get that butt plug whip out and just whip mm. the shit out of them. That's true. <laughs> you at least have that weapon in uh, Canada. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Trudeau can't take away my dildos. He just can't. But like <laughs> things that are like normal for self-defense that like you could probably have like pepper spray or like. You know, oh yeah, I can walk or whatever. We can't have those here. It's illegal to carry something like that. Well, this there's, there's a, uh, like we we can't you you can't have brass knucks in this state, and there's uh you're very limited on knives. Like I can go to New Hampshire and buy a K bar, but I would be scared transporting it to my house, and then it mm-hmm. would never it never leave my house with me because like a K bar is like a fucking combat knife. That thing's like eight inches long. Like you can run it through oh, somebody's yeah. body basically. So. <laughs> So, like, uh, that knife in this state, though, that's a no-no. And, um, but, like, yeah, I can walk into, like, any Dick Sporting Goods right now and pick up a can of Bear Mace and just fucking put a clout on somebody. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's I, illegal here, and I yeah, hate that uh, because, like, like, the crime levels here are also very high. And, like, as a woman, I feel unsafe walking to my car at night. And, like, there's nothing I can do about that. I just have to allow myself to be attacked and then, like, wait the two hours or whatever it is for the police to get there. <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, and this state—I mean, this is one of the tougher gun states too, Massachusetts. But you can definitely buy a thirty-eight, like, and put that in your purse. And if somebody's like, "I'm gonna ruin your life," no, no, the fuck you are. I'm gonna take yours away. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, America's pretty, pretty good and pretty fair most most of the time about at least letting letting you have that much protection. Yeah, so uh, like the best I can keep right now is a uh, horse cock dildo in my shoulder bag for 
I was talking about that um that butt plug that we talked about once where it's 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 a plug on one end but it's it has a whip tassels on the like flogger the other. on the other side. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's it sounds great but like it's very difficult to like, you know, rip something out of your ass at will or like what am I going to do get down <laughs> on my hands and knees and start swinging my I mean maybe that would scare people enough. So like, okay, this chick's crazy. Never mind. Well, I'm just saying you could you could pack that in your purse, though. Yeah, that's an idea. <laughs> that way you don't have to get the, the horse dildo out and fucking flog them to death. <laughs> <laughs> Some state laws prohibit an individual's access to an original birth certificate. I feel like I feel like. Everybody should have access to that regardless. Literally, why? Why would they prohibit access to a birth certificate? There's no sense. Because some adoptive parents, and I understand this, they they don't want their kid to ever know that they were adopted. Oh, fuck. And that's, see, that's a dilemma I run into because as much as I, I respect a parent's wish to maybe do that, where it's like, we we don't want this kid to ever feel weird about maybe well possibly feel weird about the situation they came in. So we're never gonna let them know like we adopted you when you were like a day old or something. So I I understand that I I get that, but at the same time, an individual, fifty states wide, and Guam and Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands and everywhere else, <laughs> they should have access to their birth certificate whether they're adopted or not. I don't think there should be Absolutely. some law in place, so it's deceptive. Um, yeah, that, no, that's that's crazy. Uh, I cannot imagine like so, it should be a basic human right to like be able to see yeah. your birth certificate or like be able to have your own like identification cards. And like yeah. I, I understand parents wanting to have their own ideals or like they want their family to be this picture perfect thing, and they think maybe if their child found out that they were adopted, you know, it would it would mess with their reality or their perception of reality but when i was with a family that it seemed like they were going to adopt me they they wanted to be my uh, i guess selected parents they would always emphasize that i you're chosen by mom and dad you know uh we chose you so it it just seemed like it's this very special thing like we didn't just you know, bump uglies and pop out this like weird little like potato. It's no, we chose you. You were chosen. Funny thing is those same foster parents left me at the hospital four months later and never came back. They they chose you. All right. Uh, doesn't sound like it. Jeez. <laughs> no. So, you know, there's there's two sides. <laughs> Jeez. Well, do you mind me asking why they do you do you know the reason? Did they tell you or did they did somebody else tell you this is the reason they gave or do you do you know what oh, happened it was, there? It was so wild. Well, like I was a very troubled kid and like I had a lot of anger and like resentment because like that's kind of all I learned in my birth home. Like I was surrounded by violence and like threats all the time. So like that's kind of like the love language that I had. And I was really prone to self-harming and um, suicide attempts. And uh, the when they dropped me off at the hospital for like, I don't know, like my fourth suicide attempt or something, 
they were like, oh, we'll like pack you up a little suitcase and like we'll come and pick you up in like four days. And then turns out like after those four days, they dropped off all my stuff at the MCFD office. And um, I kept asking like the home that I was in, like, hey, like, are they going to call or like say anything or whatever? And they they were like, oh, you haven't heard? And I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, they just dropped off all your stuff. They're not your parents anymore. Like, oh, that's crazy. And then uh, they the, the mom sent me a letter and I was so mad at them. I refused to read it. But like the few little lines that I did skim was that she found out she was pregnant uh, with another child and she thought I would be a danger to her while she was pregnant or that I'd be a danger to the baby. So like they just had to, you know, and did you ever punch her in the stomach before that? No, I never punched her in the stomach. And the thing there's no reason to think that, you know. And and I was so emotionally harmed at that point because like when they originally took me in and they were sitting at the table and they had their two birth children and they had me at the table, the mom was like, now I've got the three kids that I've always wanted. And then she goes and like gets pregnant again. And I, I guess I wasn't the third kid she wanted. She's I when when you were first telling this story too, I I just thought, oh, you know, they couldn't take you harming yourself that much. It was like a attacks on them basically but it doesn't even seem that way now it's just like oh i got pregnant so i have no use for you now that's fucking yeah. that's twisted no nobody should they should have made, made it work somehow where they could still have you and that kid but oh we're so afraid of what you're gonna do to the kid why because i i never was violent to you before but that's so you're basing that on nothing that's great Well, I felt very tokenized in the first place anyways. Like these people had never been foster parents before. And like, just because like they knew me and like the dad was my science teacher, like they were aware of my situation. It just kind of seemed like they were ready to like, oh, we're going to get like so many social media points for taking in this really troubled child. And they just like love telling everybody about me to the point where like they would talk to their neighbors about really deep traumatic things that like I had told them in confidence that like I didn't think they were just going to spread around like, you know, icing or whatever, but it just really, I felt very tokenized my entire time in that home. So I don't think they had any real intentions of keeping me anyways. I got to ask you this now though, now that you, you discussed, you know, your relationship to your, that, that, that particular man. How was class after? How did that work? I was so angry. I mean, very shortly after he got moved to a different school. Um, Oh, thank God. Because, yeah, I think that would have been not just awkward, but exactly. You were mad. So that could have ended any type of way. (laughs) Like, Yeah, but like I was very angry in general. Like I was going through like a really hard time in my life and it was very transitional. And like I didn't understand what was happening. Like I had no permanence. Uh, whatsoever. And I think, you know, that's easy. Anybody would easily be angry about that. But I feel like a lot of my teachers had a lot of uh, like, um, I guess they gave me more rope than like they probably would have given to other students. So, you know, I wouldn't come to class or like I'd come to class and like not do anything or like I'd come to class to like make a cup of tea and leave or whatever. Um, (laughs) And like, I would still get good grades. Like they would still, like I still got a hundred percent in that science class even though I stopped trying after a while or like I just sat there and like talked to somebody or like, you know, had these weird outbursts or whatever. 
And, you know, I guess I was just that weird kid, but like, I still got good grades. And I'm telling you the truth when I'm telling you I've never prepared for anything. I've never prepared for a test. <laughs> I've never bought a textbook. Every single one of my final exams, I got a passing grade on. I ne never, never once tried and I still got my degree. <laughs> I, this is my uh, style of doing things. I cram the night before. I'm anxious the entire time after that. And uh, I do okay sometimes or I do really well. <laughs> but uh i've never been that guy where it's like oh you have two weeks to to study for this thing you know better better start today nope not not gonna happen nope <laughs> no uh i'll find something else to do in my time so that's what would usually happen as a kid uh i would play like uh a video game or something or watch tv and uh yeah on the last night though i'd be sitting in front of a textbook being like i really fucked myself this time but uh <laughs> That's uh, I like I said, I just I couldn't be bothered to study so far in advance. So on, on these things, um, I'm 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 so I'll do notes and then I'll be so nervous that it's not even good enough. And then the episode's like fine or whatever. But I'm always like a little worried before that, though, like, oh, did I you know, did I create enough? Do I have enough for some content or whatever? And those first few episodes, um. I didn't feel like it. I was there were like 30 minutes. I was like, wow, I can't believe I went this long, even, you know, looking back on it or whatever. But I got to stop worrying about that at some point. I just got to be like, I have I have notes. I should be able to get a show out of this. Like, <laughs> but yeah, that happens to this day, though. I'll be doing these notes and I'll have tons of weeks in advance. And then some days I'll get them done on the day. Other days I'll get them like day. I'll get it done a day or two before. And then I worry the entire time after that, though, like, man, how is this episode going to turn out? But it always turns out fine. So I, I really got to get that out of my head. But <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, <laughs> I, I think something that, you know, it may have been a benefit or a detriment. I'm not sure. But something that in high school that I would do because, you know, I, I wasn't really doing anything. I think um, <laughs> what I used to do a lot is I would use my trauma as like shock value. And I would just, you know, like let it out in the most inappropriate ways. And people would just like feel sorry for me. And like um, I, I took advantage of people, basically, like I manipulated people into feeling bad for me. So they would give me the easy ride that I was looking for. Like I had a different like science math teacher or whatever who would like pull me into the the back lab room and he would like um, help me change my bandages on my arms or like help me like cut off my hospital bracelet because like, I'm not allowed to touch scissors. Um, so like I got those kind oh, of relationships geez. out of it, but I probably, I didn't earn what I got out of it. I can understand doing that as a teenager at least because it's like when you're a teenager, you don't really know how you should kind of just interact with uh, something crazy that's happening around you. And uh, it seems like a lot of, you went through a lot of crazy stuff. So I can understand like, you reflect on that now and you're like, I shouldn't have done that. And that's kind of, that was kind of shitty of me, but I, I get it because when you're a teenager, you don't know how to handle stuff and you really don't know how to handle the extreme stuff. So I can kind of understand why, why you did what you did. Um, as, as long as you look back at it now and you're like, well, that was kind of, I shouldn't have done that. That's, that's kind of just, that's the most important thing. Cause it, it shows that, well, I recognize that was kind of stupid and I, I have growth from it, but um, if you're still relishing in it now, though, that'd be kind of bad, but clearly you're not. So, <laughs> and no, I, I 
constantly <laughs> think of myself as being in a space of uh, professional development. So like I'm still going to therapy. I'm still uh, attending everything that I, I think should be helping me. Like I, I don't think this is ever going to be a thing where like, oh, I'm magically fixed or like I'm a normal person now. But I really try my best to not do those kind of things like for attention. Like I'll occasionally trauma dump by accident because like I don't realize like something that's super normal to me is like not normal to the person next to me. But yeah, I'm going to be in a constant state of self-development. That's good. And I, I think um, you're being uh, cynical about it because I think once you do um, realize those things about you, enter it, even if you don't go every day or every month or whatever, I think there has to be some sort of, I don't even want to say annual, but there has to be some sort of period where you go, though, and you're like, okay, I realize these things about myself. I have to go again at some other time. And it might be, like I said, it could be every day or it could be a year from now or two years from now or something. Like, I think once you enter into that that sort of thing, you have to go at least at, at in some occasion. It's not like um, you go once and you're like, well, I'm, I'm done for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think because um, that's with everything, um, not even just mental health, but like uh, physical health. Like that's why you go for a checkup uh, once a year. You go see a dentist like once a year, whatever the case is. So I think that's um, mental health is just like anything else. You have to do it with some sort of frequency once you uh, begin it. I The other thing I, I feel like, too, though, because uh, over the years, I look back on these things and I'm like, there'll be people that will start to be open. Uh, uh, there's like so much stigma surrounding it. And I think that's unfortunate because you'll look back and you'll be like, oh, that person did this or they did the ultimate or, you know, what have you. And it's because they did they didn't want to get that specific help because if you go to the doctor, for example, you know, once a year for your checkup and you're like, oh, I went to the doctor. Everything's fine. No one would no one would think otherwise, even if you're like, oh, uh, I went to the doctor. I, I found out uh, I got some sort of disease or whatever. You'd actually get pity for that. But they wouldn't be like, oh, um, you saw that doctor like you're a creep or whatever. And it's the same thing for a dentist like. Whether the dentist says I, you know, my teeth are fine or I have cavities or whatever, when you talk about that with somebody, they will. Oh, he, he or she went to the doctor. What a, what a scumbag or what a, what a crazy person or whatever. There's a stigma, even if you're just like going once a year to be like, hey, you know, is my brain fine? Basically, there's yeah. such a stigma with that, and I think that's loosening up a little bit in society because more people are just being open about it now. But there was there was such a time like even when I was like, uh, we'll go 15 years back or whatever. It was such a time then where, you, you know, people would give people like that such a hard time. Like, oh, they're a fucking psycho or whatever. And it's like all I had to do was see somebody and they would have adjusted me a little bit. But I couldn't do that because if it, if they ever found out about it, I'd be ostracized and, you know, worse. And it reminds me actually of the Sopranos. Because Tony Soprano used to see Dr. Melfi. He had to because he was having uh, those episodes where he would like blank out or whatever and faint or whatever. But if any of the other mobsters found out, well, besides the ones in his family, but even some of the ones in his family, if they found out, they would lose respect for him. And then, you know, they'd kill him or whatever the case was. Because even he he realized that. 
And that's that's another problem we have in the army is a, a lot of soldiers, they have like all these issues or whatever, and they're so afraid to go talk to somebody about it because they think the army is just going to kick them out immediately. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case because the army also realizes like, hey, this guy has issues and we'll, you know, we'll work him through his issues. But if we kick him out of the army, that's something that he doesn't need to encounter right now. That would, that would make his mental health even worse. Yes. So a lot of the times they're not looking to do that because they think it will, you know, intensify things for the patient. If the patient's like, I got X, Y, and Z and, you know, the the behavioral health people could have fixed it. Instead, they kick him out. It's like, well, he has X, Y, Z and now A. So you really fucked him. But that, yeah, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, we've came so far as just, uh, you know, a species and, but this is an, just another roadblock we fucking encounter. So. Yeah, it is nicer that like we can be more open about it, but then because we're more open about it now and we're discussing it more, there's going to be the people from the older generation saying like, oh, everybody's depressed these days. <laughs> everybody's got anxiety these days. You know, I knew like one person with anxiety growing up or something just because like it's normal now to talk about it and like get help for it, like in quotations or whatever. But like I have also like experienced discrimination in my life, like because of my mental health or like. I've been on dating apps and I'm like, I can't stay out past this certain time because I have to take my antipsychotic. And they're like, oh, done talking to you. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Or like I got fired from a job because I had anxiety. So, yeah. Isn't that illegal? It is illegal. Yeah. And I pursued them, but I pursued them through WorkSafe because I couldn't afford my own lawyer. And I only got severance pay out of it. I didn't get any settlement. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I wish so you, I... I <laughs> I, I wish you would own a piece them. of the company. That's how much I want you to fuck them. I know. I know. Well, I at least fucked their reputation. They had to put up port in their workplace that was like up for, I think, 30 days or something that was visible. And then like I had to fight this company for two years to get this like, you know, $1,700 check or whatever. It, it wasn't even that much. But I... I really do think that like I probably caused damage to them in the long run. Like they moved their management around after I had come forward about the assistant manager assaulting me or that there was, you know, a lot of drugs in the workplace or that I was being forced to sign things that I shouldn't have signed. And so I, it was like, more than just you being anxious. Like they were really in a fucking bad way. Yeah, but they they clearly wanted to get rid of me because I, I was going to say something to somebody because they, you know, you can't just treat all of your female employees like your own personal prostitutes. So uh, they were oh, like, hey, geez. I think you're too anxious to work at the front. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> that That is interesting that there's, uh, you know, this company's that bad or whatever. And you're just the tip of the iceberg, though. That's incredible. Has anybody came forward like and reported all the, the the shit they're up to or no, because the one guy who was assist who just became assistant manager after I submitted my report, they moved him down to another store, made him manager of another store. But he had assaulted so many women and he would always say, like, oh, I've I've got gang gang ties, you know, you'll be dead tomorrow before anybody knows. Like uh he would always threaten people that way. Did you believe uh, any of those uh, things that he said about that? I did believe him because there is an article. There is quite a few articles actually about the police busting him 
and it's got like his legal name in it for like all the guns and drugs that he had. But like, I don't know for real, like if he's like still doing that or like, you know, I, I don't know like what what's going on in the present, but I do know that he's got a past with it. Oh, so then he he probably wasn't bullshitting then. If he's like a fucking gun runner and a drug runner, he, he, probably, he probably wasn't, wasn't bullshitting. bullshitting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll bring up our next bullet point now because we we we've had some delightful tangents. Love them. <laughs> Lack of help for those who age out. Why did I write that as an incomplete sentence? <laughs> because um, that's literally what it is like there is lack of help and like the care is incomplete let me let me ex- expound upon that just a bit because you pr- you probably see it in the notes i gotta bring this up the um the people who age out not all of them but there's a significant portion who age out and then they're either incarcerated or they commit suicide or they they abuse substances yeah. So I that's why when we, we were discussing this earlier, I said, hold on a minute here. I don't think America at least uh, offers help. And it doesn't seem like they do, because if you have a improportionate amount of uh, people that age out and then these three things uh, start to happen to them, there's clearly a, a lack of it. So what would you suggest? Well, first of all, I, I'd like to ask what you think about at least Canada's like I think you said, like they they do offer help, but even so, though, what would you suggest though for the help, and how feasible is it to offer that help? Well, I think like everything starts with the initial care, like the initial nurturing. So whether you get pulled into foster care when you're six or you're sixteen, you there still should be like a basic checklist of like, does this person know how to like wipe their butt properly? Does this person know how to cook eggs? Like just like basic life skills that kids are missing out on because they're either like going through homes so fast that like, you know, the foster parents don't communicate and they don't know like what this kid has learned so far. So they're so unprepared for life when they come out of it. It's impossible to educate somebody that much at that point. So it just needs to be continued care all the time. And I honestly don't think that kids should be aging out at like 18 or 19 because like their their frontal lobe is like not fully developed at that point. Like when I was going through therapy, when I was a teenager, I couldn't process what had actually happened to me. And I was just basically sitting there and like talking about whatever was going on, but I couldn't actually process what happened because my brain wasn't adult enough to yet. I could not mentally comprehend what had actually happened to me at that point. And I couldn't cognitively function at the level I should have been at that point. So we should be keeping kids in foster care, you know, in like well into their youth. Like, you know, I think at the age of 26, like I am now, I should still be under the care of the government, you know, not in a foster home or a group home, but like be checking in with a social worker and like having funds for specific things and like attending like life skills courses or something like that. Like it shouldn't be like, okay, you're this age now. We don't, we're not going to support you anymore. You're on your own. This is why people are, you know, becoming homeless and like why people I know have just like overdosed in tents. Like it's, it's not safe and it's not healthy and it's not sustainable. I think that's actually a, a very excellent point you brought up because, you know, even if physically we're 
an adult at 18 mentally a lot of times we're not because it's exactly like you said we all we all develop uh, at different rates but the brain uh that's kind of uh a thing where that doesn't really change like from person to person that doesn't really change like in your 20s like your brain's like fully developed but not just like oh you hit 18 you're magically your brain is where it needs to be or whatever as an adult that's mm-hmm. not the case at all so I, I, I like what you said. Just just have the state look into these people and, you know, just be like, it shouldn't be like, oh, you're 18. Um, you fucking figure it out or whatever. They should be yeah. like, you had so many disadvantages, you know, reaching your your adulthood. Let's just at least keep tabs on you or something. And if you need help, you know, come to us and we'll figure out how to help you. And I just don't don't understand why they don't they don't do it that way. And I, I people can say, oh, it's money and this, that, and the other. I don't think it's so hard to have you hire a few workers, and I don't know, you pay them like I don't know eighty thousand dollars a year or something, and they just they keep tabs on somebody. They they call them every so often at like a number or address or whatever, and be like, hey, you know, how you doing? They can they can do that eight hours a day. They can call people and be like, hey, how you doing? And they're like. Oh, you're doing bad. Okay, we'll we'll figure out who to set you up with and see if we can help you with that. And if they can't, they can't too. That's fine. But it just seems like they're not even trying because, uh, you know, all these people are either getting arrested, killing themselves, or or using drugs. And it's like it'd be so much easier to just like like I said, just keep tabs on people, spend a little bit of money, and get these agencies involved. And they're not if the, you know this is happening to these people. Yeah, and I I think like a barrier to that would be that there's so many stereotypes around former youth in care just, you know, being homeless or like being drug users or like being addicted to substances and thinking like, okay, well, if we gave these people a free ride, they'd just have like a safe place to do drugs and then they'd just like take all this money and like use it to buy drugs and they'd be like just as worse off. So like, why not just have them do that on their own? I could see that as being why they would be oppositional to it. Because there is a large portion of foster kids that are struggling with substance abuse. Abuse. I mean, like I struggle with substance abuse myself. So like I, I see that that could be an issue, but I think, you know, like the homeless population here is getting taken care of. Like we've got the home, the homeless population has like safe housing. The safe injection site just got shut down, but like there's still housing for them and they still get $1,500 a month for just, you know, existing. I don't see why former youth in care couldn't get the same respect. Yeah, I just, like I said, I think it'd just be, I don't know if it would solve all the problems, but I think if you just hired just a few people to just reach out to these people, that's all they do all day, eight hours a day. They sit, they sit at a phone, they go down the list and they just, they check on them every so often. Like, I don't think it'd be a hard thing to do, or I don't think it'd be so expensive, but I don't know. I, I just think it just seems like there's a complete lack of trying though. It's like, have these ideas even been pitched? So it's just like, you know, how hard is it to do this? That's why I I look at this on on my notes and I'm like, this is the one where it's like, how hard is this to do? How hard is it to just check on these people? It's not, but why didn't anybody who even who's, you know, oppositional or for reforms and and adoption, just kind of look at it and be like, you know, this is what we should do. Why am I the only voice that's even suggested this? That's sad. If I, I'm the only guy that's like, 
hey, maybe you should hire a few people to check on people so they're not going to get fucking locked up because then that's going to cost me a lot of money or they're not killing themselves or if they're using drugs, they're not like, uh, you know, contributing to society. So it's just like, why? Why can't you look into these people and help them? Why? Yeah. Why does well, it? I, why does it take me to suggest that? Like it, it should have been suggested a long time ago. Like I shouldn't I be sitting here so. with you and being like this. This is how it needs to be. Like, yeah. Well, like I think personally, I think even though I've had a pretty rough go at it, I'm still one of the very lucky ones, and I still spent a hell of a time advocating for myself. Like I spent time on the youth advisory council for the provincial director of child welfare and we went to parliament and we had them extend the AYA agreement which is agreement with young adults and with that one is when you're former youth in care attending post secondary school that at the time you, you could get $1200 a month to support yourself while you're going to school so you don't have to worry about having a job um but of course the cost of living went up exponentially and then, <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we extended it to $1,500 a month and extended how long you could use that for. So 84 months uh, on the program and you can be 26 and still accessing it. Um, so like that was really important, but also, you know, not every foster kid is going to be able to go to post-secondary school. Not every foster kid is going to be like mentally prepared or like ready for that kind of thing. And not every university offers mental health services or like clinics or housing on campus. That's, you know, already hard for um, you, former youth and care to access. And then like, I, applied for every single bursary or every single uh, scholarship that I could try to get being a foster kid. Not many people were applying for them um, because I think like they just weren't aware of them. So like at the beginning when I was going to university, I was getting all of my bills paid for um, and I was still doing sex work so I could, you know, eat because it's still not enough money. And then I was getting, you know, checks for my books and like any other school supplies that I needed, but I was still having a hard time. Like I still really struggled getting through school and I still faced a lot of barriers. Um, and I still struggled with addiction. And, you know, I, I had my social worker who was working with me at that time. He forgot to pay my rent for the winter. And jeez, oh, yeah, because they didn't know that you had to pay extra to stay during Christmas break. So I had to live with somebody I barely knew for that time and I was sexually assaulted and I fully believe it was that social worker's fault and he still has a job. So I can only imagine what somebody who can't advocate for their, themselves is going through. Like I personally count myself lucky to be able to access the amount of things I could because I kept pushing for more and more and more. But there's somebody out there that isn't, and they're not going to make it. The last bullet point I wanted to bring up was the pro prohibitive cost about adoption. Because whether you know a lot about adoption or not, I think that's every, something that every, uh, everyone knows about. But I didn't really know the reasons why. And I looked in it. It's, it's because there's a lot of people involved. So, for instance, if um, your ad adoption costs $50,000, it's because you have to hire a lawyer, you have to hire a doctor, there's uh, government people that want to get paid, and, 
you know, there's just a lot of people involved in this. This is again where I kind of look at it and I'm like, you know, how about you make taxpayers pay for it? Yeah. So I'm wondering, is that the same in Canada? Because even though I know it's expensive in America, is it, is it expensive to adopt in Canada? I think what the difference would be in Canada is that when you're a foster parent and you're just, you know, the temporary parent, you're not adopting them, you get more money from the government to help you take care of that child than you would if you had adopted them. So there's that portion to it. And I don't personally know what the costs are uh, with adopting. I know that there's a lot of qualifications you have to meet. Like you have to attend uh, certain courses. I know one of my foster parents had to attend an autism course. I don't know if I'm autistic. Maybe there's something they were keeping from me. But they still <laughs> I remember have to you have that certificate. That. I remember yeah. you mentioned that before. Like, yeah. um, even though there's been no like like you know trials conducted on you to confirm or you know not confirm your autism they still had to sit through a course i think that's complete and utter insanity like if you're about to adopt somebody that does have that condition then yeah you must have that course but don't just throw it on somebody and it's it's like not even clear as day like why they're doing that that just it makes it like it makes it another hurdle for somebody who would have been enthusiastic about adopting they'd be like well I don't want to take this extra course now. Like I, I'm not going to adopt anymore. They might still because the you know sometimes the desire to be a parent outweighs any you know challenges that might be thrown at you. But but there's going to be that small percentage that you're going to dissuade from doing a good thing by being like mm, you got to take this course. Be like well fuck it I don't want to I don't want to be a parent anymore then. So. Yeah, well, like the weird thing is like they're setting higher expectations for these adoptive parents than they are for just average everyday parents. Like, you know, I could have a kid right now and nobody's going to come to my house and make sure I have little protectors on all of the outlets or make sure I have baby proofed <laughs> all my cabinets or make sure I have a first aid course or make sure that I have a first aid kit in the house or make sure that I have a fire extinguisher. Nobody's going to come and make sure of those things. So why do they have to be so diligent with people who are trying to adopt that's a good point because it's not like you know the, exactly not everybody's going to everybody's house and being like oh let me see your uh your fucking fire extinguisher let me see your ladder to climb off the you know the second floor if there's a fire on the second floor where your smoke detectors this that, and the other it's mm -hmm. like why are they being like why are they butting into the lives of these other people so much but you know everybody else gets a pass <laughs> yeah you'd probably catch a lot of bad parents if you, <laughs> you just did that yeah <laughs> well i still find like i still had a lot of bad foster parents regardless of if they took those courses or not like i still yeah. was neglected it, it it didn't change anything yeah so i guess the, the courses are really just bullshit because there's still the attitude of the parent that's not really being checked out like i you know you you encounter this chat they don't like questionnaire them basically like oh you've encountered you've encountered this how do you plan on handling it going forward or whatever they don't ask them the tough questions so then when you know for example what happened to you where it's like you self-harmed a couple times and it's like well i was afraid uh, you know you get a letter later saying i was afraid you were gonna harm me or my kid or whatever why didn't they ask him that question why didn't they say hey are you worried at any time that, you know, she's going to attack you or whatever? 
she could have said it then and saved you a lot of trouble of being connected with somebody, bonding with somebody, and then being abandoned after. Yeah, that was a really uh, hard part for me because I did really try to bond with people. And then after a while, it's like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. And then, you know, the last home I was in, they probably were people that genuinely wanted me to feel cared about. But I put up that wall and was like, no, I'm not going to love you. And I don't want you to love me. Um, because it happened so many times before because they didn't ask just some tough questions that could alleviate all of that. Yeah, and that's still issue that I'm dealing with now. <laughs> Because if, if you didn't have that experience, maybe, I'm not saying that it uh, definitely would have, but if you didn't have the experience with the ones that left you at the hospital, maybe going forward, you would have found ones where you would have opened up to them and then that would have worked out. But because, I don't know, Canada was like fucking pussies about it. They're like, oh, you know, take these courses, but we're not going to ask you things that you might encounter as a parent and then see how you would handle it because... You know, I just like I said, I don't know why they're not asking tough questions. I hope no, America's I, at least doing that, but I don't know. Yeah, well, I honestly think people who are wanting to be foster parents or wanting to adopt should like undergo probably the same kind of psychiatric evaluations that like I had to undergo as a kid coming into foster care. Um, because like I That's had so fair. many, I had so many issues with foster parents not being able to communicate with me or not understand how how I how I'm trying to communicate with them I like I'm not trying to act out for I, I I just want somebody to like care about me it's not like I'm like trying to hurt anybody it's like I'm acting out because this is the only way I know how to express my emotions and then when I did have moments with like my counselor at the time where she's like oh try talking to your foster parents like this to like try to let them know how you're feeling and then I would try to come across with like this healthy dialogue and then they would just like yell at me and then like get mad at me for crying because I'm manipulative because I'm crying. Like it just made no sense. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You had a normal human reaction, but <laughs> how devious of you. Yeah. Jeez. <sighs> well, back to cost though, real quick. It's just, I guess that's the only way you can do it is, um, you just make taxes pay for it. Try to offset it a little bit at least. Because even if you, you can't cover the, you know, say say it is 50K, for example, mm. you have have taxpayers cover a little bit. So maybe the cost can go down a little bit, at least like. Yeah. Or maybe just eliminate some part of the process, because I, I guess you need lawyers. But, uh, you know, can a lawyer maybe do it pro bono or something or have a doctor charge a little bit less or I don't I, I again, it just seems like there's it's so easy maybe to reach the answer, but no one even thinks about it. And I can just throw, yeah, I can throw, Oh, you know, send taxes toward it. See if you can work out a deal with these people. Maybe they'll get tax breaks for, for helping out with adoption or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's a shame though, that I'm, I'm the guy that has to do it when adoption has existed for like a hundred years or, or, you know, in this form or longer, maybe in the United States. Cause before it was like, do I have any rich relatives? Oh, you know, that's who will adopt this kid. Yeah. Now it's it's a lot different than that. But, you know, again, it's like, why are you and I the ones that are discussing it? I guess that, that's the thing that pisses me off about this. It's like, this shit should already be figured out. So we can, you know, be doing a sexy episode or something rather than, <laughs> <laughs> rather than discussing things that make sense to you and I, but no one is like, has thought about it. And it's like, it's pitiful that they haven't. It, it, it's, it's wrapped up in the selfishness. Maybe not yeah. in Canada, 
Canada, there's maybe a little bit of altruism left, but it's it's just it, these politicians here in this this country at least are selfish. They're like, mm-hmm. what can I do to get votes to be in power? What can I do to line my pockets? And everything else doesn't fucking matter. And yeah. that's why I need to run for president so I can unfuck everything. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> but that's uh, down the road, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Part, uh, we're going to move on to the remember four things portion of our show. Do you have any quotes that you want to throw out there? Mm, yes, actually, I remembered this from last time, so I made sure I had a quote ready. <laughs> um, so You my, had a quote. I can't remember la- what it was. It was very sexual, though. It was just about ass like, eating. It's very classic sweet cheeks. Um, <laughs> but this time, I actually I made sure I had a relevant quote, Okay. That was relevant um, to what we were doing, though. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this is a quote from Seinfeld. Yeah. This is yeah. This is something that Kramer said, and this is something that's always <laughs> stuck with me. He said, "You know why Rifkin was a serial killer? Because he was adopted, just like Son of Sam was oh. adopted. So apparently, adoption leads to serial killing." Kramer brought that up. Yes. I. You know, I vaguely remember that episode though, because I happen to be a connoisseur of uh seinfeld mm-hmm. so uh shout out to helmet and chris by the way huge seinfeld fans like me that that episode joel rifkin is there there's a joel rifkin dating elaine i believe and that's where they they brought that up because he has the same name as the serial killer mm-hmm. am i correct in that i believe so i've watched so much seinfeld at all kind of like you know, it's a lot to remember. <laughs> it, it, it melds together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but that one hear... stuck with me, so I'm thankful I was never adopted. <laughs> uh, not too many lady serial killers, though. No, uh, except that, like the absolute icon. Gosh, what was her name? From Monster, but she was in real life. Eileen. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, she comes to mind, and then there's um, they believe that the Tylenol murderer was a female. That's crazy. Yeah. So if if she if she like the Tylenol murderer killed like I don't know ten people before they started putting uh, like tamper seals and stuff on it. So if if then then yeah she was a, a serial killer, and there was that Swami that lived in uh, Oregon. And his uh his like sidekick was like this this uh this woman and she she caused like some sort of outbreak of listeria or something and nobody mm-hmm. died thankfully but there was like five hundred victims of it wow. so it was like a, it was like the first major bio attack in the United States of America and it was they they said it was perpetrated by this woman so if she would have killed any of those people then she would have been a serial killer. I I yeah. need to discuss that group because you know after all this is the PNR podcast and that was a religious sect so I think that needs to be talked about this season so I'll have to set aside some time for that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my quote is actually from a very famous bishop, Desmond Tutu. Might have heard of him. Mm-hmm. He said, "You don't choose your family; they are God's gift to you, as you are to them." And uh, you know that's not one of those more like poignant quotes i've had but i, I just kind of like that and it, i mean it makes sense of course like you you don't choose them if you have a family they are a gift to you and you should be a gift to them and like i said that's not one of the like the 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 more like oh thought you know thought provoking or whatever but i still like the quote after i read it and it, it does ring true to me though so 
Mm-hmm. Do you have any shout outs you want to you want to give out? Um, shout out to me for hanging in there and not becoming <laughs> a statistic. Shout out to my foster brothers, Guy and Bryant for like taking care of me and like being my big brothers and, you know, kind of showing me the ropes, I guess, uh, that, you know, the life that we live isn't all bad. And like, it, it does happen for a reason. Um, and my foster brother, Corey, cause he's also thriving. He's another great example of a, a thriving former youth and care. Yeah. Those people. I want to throw a shout out your way. Of course, sweet cheeks. Thanks for coming on the show. And we are we are going to have you on later. I would I would love to have you again. So I would love to come back. Excellent, excellent. And uh, all my guests that have been on the show, past, present, and future, always give them a shout because uh, thanks for break for making the PNR what it is. I love doing these episodes more than I love just doing solo ones. So, mm-hmm. and then of course, you know, this is just a shout out to all the kids in the system. Hopefully, you can buckle down and get through it. It might be really easy for you, but as we've examined on this episode, it's most likely going to be very hard for you. But hopefully, you know, you have that determination. And you say, you know, no matter what happens to you, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to live my best life. So hopefully, you know, shout out to you guys. Hopefully you, you can deal with what's about to be ahead. And then, of course, uh, just like you had mentioned too, all the adults, you know, who didn't become a statistic, who even... If they whether they encounter difficulty or not, you know they they lived to adulthood and they they had a full life because you know they they knew, hey, the, you know this was thrust upon me, but I I did the best I could with it and I survived it. So shout out to all those you know who who had a good life after. So, mm-hmm. is there any charity you want to shout out to? Yes, um, I also remember this one. So I want to do a shout out to a charity that helps uh, former youth in care who are attending post-secondary in BC. It's the Youth Futures Education Fund because there are more, it's more accessible for foster kids to go to post-secondary now. uh, There's far less funds available. And so there needs to be more donors. You know, it went from getting a $1,000 check every semester to getting a $250 check every semester. Um, yeah. So, you know, kids need to buy books. Kids need to buy laptops. People need to donate to the Youth Futures Education Fund to support continuing education. That's a, that's a big decrease right there. Yeah. You know, doing an episode with you, I want to, I want to bring this up. Uh, well, I'll throw out, I'll throw out my my normal charity that I always do ALSA. So ALSA.org, ALS.org. I think either way you you will reach them and say ALS Association. So that's you know that's my personal cause basically. Mm-hmm. But since we're using the word charity, I want to make sure that every all the audience knows out there that sex workers are not a charity. You need to pay to use their services. So yes. Don't treat sex workers like a charity, you motherfuckers. Yes. <laughs> you stingy motherfuckers. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so ALSA.org, ALS.org, and yeah, just using charity as uh, in that other situation. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, that's uh, is that your pinned tweet, if I'm not mistaken? Oh yes, I'm. I'm a <laughs> professional goddess, not a charity. <laughs> So pay up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and last thing, any good nights you want to send out? 
I think uh, a special good night to that bitch that dropped me off at the hospital and never came back. You know who you oh. are. I hope you're having nightmares. That's it. Oh, <laughs> man. Usually good nights are usually reserved for, um, you know, people that deserve a good night. I don't think that woman really deserves a good night. <laughs> I think she should be put on the bitch list personally. but Absolutely. So then we got uh, we got Nesson, Kyrie Irving, and that woman. They're, those are the <laughs> the members of the bitch list right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say the good night. I always say good night, Malcolm Butler, wherever you are. 